Over the course of several wintry days in late December of 1978, onlookers gathered alongside an assemblage of reporters and cops outside 8215 West Somerdale in Chicago's Norwood Park neighborhood. As body after body was excavated from underneath the residence of John Wayne Gacy, a dreadfully familiar bogey in the American psyche now, but at the time, a man who was anything but. Gacy was not a drifter or mysterious newcomer, and unlike his precursor of the period, Dean Coral, he didn't so much fail to arouse suspicion in the world he occupied. He was above suspicion. Gacy was a well-known fixture in the community and businessman about town, an event coordinator, Democratic Party precinct captain, and most infamously now, a licensed clown who frequently appeared in parades and at local hospitals. The prospect of a friendly neighbor with contacts in every branch of the city's civic life being revealed as a prolific murderer of young men and boys struck at the very heart of American society's conception of its security and future. As body after body was unearthed and carried out draped in white sheets, a macabre visual echo of fallen GIs in Vietnam filled TV screens in homes across the country. What had been revealed underneath 8215 West Somerdale was not just the disturbed unconscious of a single man who had become broken and twisted into a state of callous indifference to suffering, but that of a civic society which had been content to ignore anyone lacking connections. As in Vietnam, visual proof of the destroyed innocence and future of its youth through the apathy and blindness of those in charge had been laid bare. This is the golden age of serial murder. Okay. Welcome to the golden age of uh, serial murder. This is... Uh, Simeon with Toby and with our guest Simon. Hello. Hi, Toby. You there? Yeah. Hi. Uh, Simon, could you introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, my name's Simon, and um, I'm on various podcasts, most notably on Impressions of America with Toby. Um, we cover um, a range of, of different things, especially sort of politics and political media and history of the later 20, mid to late 20th century. And We've been doing that podcast for a few years now, and, and we do it with our friend Vaughn, so that's probably the, the podcast, uh, if any, you've, you've heard me on. Uh, and I've also got another podcast with our, our friend Vaughn uh, that covers Star Wars, called The Joy of Star Wars, and I know very little about that, about Star Wars in general, but I know enough to, to at least be entertained and, and keep alongside uh, Vaughn, who is a real passion expert, and, and our friend Steele, who really knows the specifics of, of Star Wars. So, um. My background is more general sort of film and, and media history and uh, of American 20th century history. And while I do have some interest in uh, serial killers, I am by no means the expert that these guys are. So I'm uh, looking forward to today's show to, to find out more about our topic and to contribute where I can about um, a particularly grisly figure that we're going to be talking about. Yeah, so Impressions of America is like the tree that sprouted all of my other podcasts and, and, and interests. And yeah, Simon is like the guy who like planted the seed of the tree. So <laughs> it's great to have him on this podcast and, and any other future podcasts that I do. <laughs> Increase the volume when I... Cool, okay. One thing is also, uh, if you have any uh, impressions that you have of, of throughout the story that, you know, make you think of... Uh, classic film or classic or stuff in American history or politics or anything like that is in more within your wheelhouse, feel free to make any connections. Cause certainly this is a case that is 
very much uh, woven into uh, the general pop culture thing. Because uh, even though we actually made it more of a, com a direct comparison to this in the Coral episode, the um, you know the connection to Stephen King's It, the idea of the evil clown, the the image of Gacy with his horrible clown makeup, which other clowns have said is done really wrong and shows exactly who he was, but yes. um, that that and he is and he is one of these guys who's really famous and iconic in the culture who when you actually dig into it is every bit as horrible and the story is every bit as tragic as you would expect it really is he really is uh i think out of, out of all the figures we cover the big probably if you had to pick one supervillain of american crime it's gacy because i mean there might be others who are just as bad or or or, or uh, possibly even worse but in, with ones who are really famous and who have had an impact on uh, on the uh, the popular zeitgeist, an impact on the on, on the collective psyche. He really is, I think, he, he, more than any of them. I know Dahmer's popular recently. I, I'm not saying Dahmer isn't bad, but Dahmer is, I think, a little bit gets a little bit too much press because of the cannibalism. Mm -hmm. And um, I think he was as mad as he was bad. I think Gacy is someone who, I don't think he was born bad quite the way Ted Bundy was, or Peter Curtin, maybe, or, or Rodney Alcala, but at some point, I think he he went fully bad, and and one of the reasons they study him to such a degree, I think, is because he is as much as anyone a perfect study in the fusion of nature and nurture. Because I think he's someone who had these natural uh, proclivities that he he inherited, that natural qualities to his personality, but he was he experienced so much abuse and so much neglect and you can see how he becomes the person he becomes and it's... i think dharma gets um the press that he does right now because we're in the woke moment and dharma was killing black people i think you know 20 years ago people didn't care so much about him but now that he's killing like black men you know in the woke moment dharma gets more press i suppose than he would have it... done it's possible, but it's also, I think, because a lot of people actually didn't, you know, are too young to know his story. People more are, in, in my age group or, or older remember when that happened. I wasn't aware of it, but mm -hmm. um, but uh, I was very sheltered. Uh, there's a podcast I listened to, Last Podcast Left, which is a comedy uh, horror serial killers podcast. Uh, one of the guys, one of the hosts said he used to play Jeffrey Dahmer on this, you know, with his friends. It was basically just a version mm -hmm. of tag, but it was Jeffrey Dahmer on the, on, like in recess, you know, it would, you know, on the, on the schoolyard um, when he was little. And it does seem to be something that was, uh, but it was ignored because uh, um, the victims, most of, they weren't all black. Some were, t some were Laotian, some were white, but they were, it, he lived in a poor neighborhood to avoid detection. And, and uh, he was in the only, the only white guy in his apartment. So some of that is because of the woke movement, because, because people are, 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 um, are critical of the cops. But honestly, if you're going to be critical, I mean, the cops, I think that the, the, the police chief in, in the Dean Coral episode where he sued one of the victim's mothers for, for um, hiring a private investigator, to me, that's about as bad as it gets. But the cops and, and the whole civic infrastructure of Chicago is is just appalling here too and 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 the only thing you can say about this case because it is as it is to the listeners it is as horrible as is as you would expect from the story less to do with clowns but it is really horrible uh, and tragic and awful but something some minor good things come out of this that we are still dealing with, with today the Amber Alert system comes out of this case and some other things that didn't exist before the the level of detective work and corruption and 
the science uh, or lack thereof that they had back then was really appalling. And I've listened to a lot to uh, the Netflix documentary and the Peacock documentary several times because I'm one of those uh, sad weirdos who listens to things to get uh, like that to get back to sleep. Uh, I actually don't, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, you're but... not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is amazing that I mean, not, not to hijack the show, but it, it is amazing how. For, for some people that kind of I, I, I mean I can't speak for anyone else but I don't know if it's more the investigative quality of, of kind of having that that kind of sort of natural something is going badly wrong within our society and we have to investigate to find out a who it is is doing it and b the sort of depths of that horror and then the sort of the the search for that almost becomes relaxing in some sort of a, absurd way um, I, I personally don't do it myself, but I, from what I understand, it that there is a sort of elemental nature of, of 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 that kind of thing of kind of long storytelling, long form storytelling, where you're investigating something. Be that some, because a film that I actually love and rewatching over over and over again is actually Spotlight, which is the investigation into the the the, the church abuse in Boston, and then that that rolls out in there. And obviously, that's a horrible story to do with children being abused by priests but actually what i love about the film is that kind of storytelling of people who are good at their jobs trying to tackle a subject and trying to get to a truth and it's less grisly than something like this just as far as the nature of what you physically see on screen but i find that very relaxing sometimes if i can't decide what i'm going to watch i'll just put on spotlight again for the, the 12th time or something like that so i, I can kind of understand to some degree spotlight's a good movie i grew up in boston i remember when that ha when when it the the you know it finally exploded into the public consciousness mm -hmm. um and uh, i mean i wasn't aware of it but i have uh, family and friends who grew up catholic i went to catholic school and it is a huge uh, part of boston the similarity with this story to that is that that sense of trust and innocence being lost, and this is a progressive thing mm. you see in the in, in the post-war era. I think particularly in the '70s, and and you can see from the beginning from the, where Dean Coral, which was about someone who was outside of society in many ways, or or someone who was he he was in he was outside of the civic life of society. He was just someone who people accepted because he was a he he owned a business or was you know. Can you hear the echo? Um, I, I hear that as well. I'll, I'll turn my mic off to make. I don't think it's me, but I'll turn my mic off to make. I, I think a similar film to that, you know, like you talk about Spotlight. I think Zodiac is quite similar in that way. Like, I I thought that was a, I thought that was a really good movie than people give it credit for. I know people really like that movie, but Zodiac actually covers the the Zodiac killer investigation in the in the sixties and seventies in San Francisco, mm -hmm. and I think it there's a lot to be said. I, I think Boston is quite similar because. Like the bay is like up in California and the mm -hmm. weather gets a little bit colder and a little bit gloomier sometimes. And there's something about that gloomy quality mm -hmm. with an mm -hmm. investigation story that is soothing somehow, even though, even if there's like a terrible crime attached to it. Yeah, yeah I, I actually, I'm yeah, oh, sorry, sorry. Can you tell me? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, Fincher's obviously a master of depicting that type of story you know with with seven zodiacs obviously a very different type of story as far as just how it's told and the the, the main part of the story of zodiac obviously is that it, no one is, is caught as a result mind hunter which we'll, cut, we'll get on to to later no doubt is obviously in relation to that because of the filmmaker and also the type of story is being told but I, when i was actually doing the research on gacy or oh, obviously there are big differences between the zodiac killer um but both as a personality and and, and 
type of victims and that kind of stuff. There, there was one particular moment where I was reading on Gacy where I think he he might have gone and not to jump jump too far ahead, but I think at one point he he goes after victims and or is able to coerce victims by having like a fake sheriff badge and, and things like that and being able to sort of put pull people over potentially doing that way and, and having some more sort of authority over them. And I do remember from watching Zodiac, which is a film I like a lot and I think has has actually got a reputation as being very good, at least in, in some circles, even if it didn't have the initial acclaim that other films that year did. Um, I do remember um, that that was one of the kind of striking images for me was that um, that film played upon this idea of being able to sort of manipulate fake positions of, of power. And I'm fairly sure there's stuff to do with pulling over cars in, 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 that, in that film as well. So even though the specifics weren't exactly the same, I did also think of Zodiac when I was researching for this case. Yeah, well, Ted Bundy and DeBarta Laban, among, among I think, many other uh, serial killers of the time did that. And, of course, the Hillside Stranglers. And one mm. of the things that happened with the Hillside Stranglers was be, was the cops told women, you don't have to, if so, if a cop tries to pull you over, just go home. You know, <laughs> there's a there's a progressive a progression in this period where people become aware that these guys are impersonating cops. The police become aware, but the public as well. And, yeah, I also like Zodiac. Yeah, I don't know if you, you know this, Simon, but I, I was born in San Francisco and I have visited a few times then, but lived the first two years of my life there. So I know uh, personally that if you go outside San Francisco, if you go to, to Berkeley or or any of the other places, Oakland, if you certainly go outside San Francisco, it's much less cool. San Francisco is this sort of blanket of cool. It's, you know, in terms of just it's much colder and much more my type of place. I, I in terms of like I like cold weather. We have a very mm-hmm. English weather right now here. It's very it's 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 48 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. It's rainy. It's it's nice and gray. I like it. You know, I, I, I would I, I'm a I, I am kind of a my parents were Anglophiles and I, I like elements of the culture even they don't like. I like the weather. I like that. You know, and maybe it's partly because I'm from San Francisco, which is a bit like that. And I didn't get to grow up there. But um, my dad was a cab driver in the 70s there. My dad loved that city. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, he didn't get to chance. He, 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 he passed in 2000, he, uh, but he, uh, he didn't get a chance to see Zodiac, but he would have, I think he would have noticed little, little details about it. But yeah, it's, it is, it's a good movie. I, I'm not as a huge Fincher fan as some people are, but I do like Zodiac a lot. Um, and uh, Simon has to say about the weather, but like I'm kind of recovering from pneumonia right now. And, uh, and Simon is from like the highlands of Scotland, as opposed to like some breezy, cool place in the, in the south of England. I don't know. What yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm my, my family's kind of split as far as being both the south of England and, and, and the north of Scotland. But I, I grew up almost exclusively in, in the Scottish highlands. Uh, and I have red hair, so basically, if I see the sun, um, that that's danger for me. So, uh, <laughs> I, 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 for the most part, um, like a, a bit of sun, but a bit is 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 the key word in in that regard. And I don't like it to get too hot. And um, uh, certainly when it's it's cooler, and uh, that, you know, so like late autumn kind of weather is kind of good for me to to be honest because you get get that nice mix of kind of cooler evenings with a bit of sun during the day that's not too hot um so without trying to turn this into a weather podcast i'm kind of with you (laughs) i'm kind of with you in the regard of like some elements of british weather i wish it wouldn't rain in scotland you know 400 days a year or whatever it is we get here but um that's that's a separate story i think i'd be having uh, so J- John Wayne Gacy was born at Edgewater Hospital in Chicago, Illinois, on March the 17th, 1942, and the second of three children. 
and only son of John Stanley Gacy and Marion Gacy Robinson. His father was an auto repair machinist and World War One veteran, and his mother was a homemaker. Gacy was of Polish and Danish ancestry, and his family was Catholic. Uh, the baby was a Pisces with the same birthday as Rudolf Neviv and the same astrological sign as George Washington, Albert Einstein, and Charlie Pride. On his birth certificate, his mother's profession was listed as housewife. It was an occupation she had followed for more than three years after a depression year uh, wedding in 1938. I had wondered in some ways, once you learn a little bit more about Gacy's father, how that had happened. But um, one thing, little note is one of the one of the supporting characters, I think, in this story is the city of Chicago itself. I had said, loyal listeners may may or may not remember that in the Coral episode, the Gacy, when referring to Gacy, that he was born in Iowa. And that's not true. He moves to Iowa later. He's from Chicago. Eventually goes back to Chicago. But his uh, Chicago is a place that has, I don't, I mean, he's only part Polish, but it, it has more people of Polish descent and um, an element of Polish American culture, more people of Polish descent than anywhere outside of Poland in the world, and it has a real um, uh, large numbers of Polish immigrants, and um, and that's something that I think may have helped uh, him uh, and his family feel like part of the the, the city, um, and. Um, it's also true that another way, one of the way, many ways in which Ted uh, Bundy and John Wayne Gacy are similar is they have this domineering, def, you know, definitive uh, primal father figure in their lives who is a World War One veteran. In Bundy's case, it was his grandfather. But as I said in the Bundy episode, it may well be his father. We don't know. No one knows who Ted Bundy's father is for certain. With Gacy's case, it's his father. But there is a particular dynamic with these World War One veterans. That may be the case with some in World War II. I've, I've, I've talked to people who, who talked about that. But uh, John Wayne Gacy's uh, father, um, I think, experienced a great deal of trauma in the war. And like Ted Bundy's grandfather, was heard to talk to himself in different voices. I heard this can be something about slipping back into these kind of old war memories. But some people have, you know, said, well, you know, talked about supernatural elements. I won't get into that. But... Um, the thing to, that to, to start off to, when you're talking about John Wayne Gacy is that you just have to mention this. And I do because I do think it is relevant is that whenever he refers to himself ever, he always refers to himself as John Gacy. <laughs> I'm sorry, mm. my cat's making noise in the background. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, I but, can. that that's OK. I, I have um, a cat. Too. They, they, they're uh, more important than us. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they, they, own, they, own the, they own the house. They run the house. But it is worth noting that for whatever reason, probably whether his father or mother is interested in this, he gets named John Wayne Gacy after the American film star, the paragon of masculinity of the time. And and of course, what everyone knows, I think, about John Wayne Gacy is that, you know, about his childhood is that he is from the moment he's born, it seems from the moment he can crawl this incredible disappointment to his father. He's because he's not manly enough. He's not masculine. Mm. And uh, and and I think that as one poster pointed out, if you're named after John Wayne and you're not six foot four and, <laughs> and ride, you know, uh, can ride a horse. The and you're not a racist. Yes. If you're not the par whatever paragon of masculinity in town. Yes. You know, if, if, if you, um, you know, if you are if you are 
if you are named after John Wayne and you are not a um, this incredibly masculine guy, and, and John Wayne Gacy was a um, you know he he struggled with his weight and and he and he never gravitated to the more normal uh, boyish activities, and like Dean Coral, uh, which I, I I mentioned in the Coral episode, John Wayne Gacy was was someone who um who who was uh had health problems throughout his whole uh, childhood that prevented him from from roughhousing and playing with other boys and playing sports and also it may be that he uh that he was a little bit of a malingerer that he may have uh made up some of those just because he saw he could get him attention and he could get him out of his house and into a hospital or get him more attention from his mother his mother was very protective of him and uh but his father was this sort of domineering figure his parents are very much, you might say, of of, of another time, even for the 1950s. But you, but his 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 in in childhood, from the pretty much from the moment he could crawl, his father is this defining figure, and I think the single defining figure in his life. And you can sort of see his story as this psychodynamic playing out of his relationship with his father, interacting with all these other things in his psyche. That is kind of who he is. It's everything's about his dad and John Wayne Gacy's life. So John, John Wayne Gacy had uh, two sisters, uh, Joan and the third child was Karen. Um, as Simeon has said, Gacy was a kind of a sickly child. When he was 15, he was hospitalized for five days with an appendix issue. Um, in 1958, he began taking medication for a heart ailments um, as John Wayne, John Wayne Gacy grew up, he went to Schwartz, uh, a, a, a co-educational high school on the far north side. Um, he wasn't a super noticeable teenager. He was never really one of the popular kids, but he earned a reputation for his, his neatness. And uh, one weird thing is that he did tell his wife that during school, he was taken out of class in a straitjacket for behavior a couple times because of uncontrollable rage. Uh, his, his grades weren't too bad. They, they could have been better, but other kids did worse. Gacy wasn't dumb. He was, he had a slightly, he had above average intelligence, so not massively. And he did, he did have apparently had some seizures like you'll see with um, Richard Ramirez when we get to him and a few other uh, serial killers. So that, uh, that that might have been what was happening with the straitjacket. But you also it's also possible he was uh, throwing a fit because, you know, he, he you know, he, um, feigning that. But I think he, he did have a seizure condition for a time. I was, I was going to say that um, the from what I was reading into this, like the thing that, that struck me, what you guys have already touched on is just how insufferable it was for him and his relationship with his father and how much that domineered his 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 life and as you already touched upon like the fact he was kind of over overweight and, and was unathletic and the fact i believe he had a heart condition which meant he had to avoid sports and his father just couldn't deal with him almost as a concept not just as as, as a person as a son and his his mother was trying to be protective of him and that only meant that his father beat him more and, and called him a sissy and things like that. And so you, you're left with this impression of this belittled and physically and mentally uh, berated and, and disturbed young man who who is 
who is having to live with the fact that he basically can't go day to day without his his father abusing him in some way. And we'll we'll touch on later when, we, when we, I'm sure when we talk about his kind of legacy and and the kind of fact that these serial killers, you know, when when you want to kind of study their brain more and when you want to find out, and when you, you read things like the early life, I always think, don't you want to study the father more? You know, don't don't you want to find out what was making him tick and how he was so terrible? And as you say, what what it was is in relationship to his his past and and the war, but was there other things going on? But you know, there's no excuse for what John Wayne Gacy then went on to do, but it is a fascinating thought about just how destructive this parent was and whether that turned someone who was on sort of the edges of, of doing things to basically turn them into a complete monster. And um, yeah, well, we'll get onto this more, but I, while we're talking about the childhood, I just, I, I couldn't let us go any further without just saying how... No, I think that's how, super how important. It's a, it's, a, it's a good point because often, like what we found out, especially early on in the podcast, is that there's a lot of people with, like, the chemical capacity to become someone like this, mm-hmm. but they have, like, good early life experiences or there's someone around or mm-hmm. they just have neutral life experiences that mean that they never develop into someone like this. So, yeah, that's that's really important. Uh, absolutely. And from what I read as well, again, not that I did the kind of research you guys do, did, but from what I read... um. Gacy was actually found by his dad to him and Gacy and another boy had essentially been like sexually fondling or abusing um, a, a young girl. And then Gacy's father found out about it and, and whipped him with, with, with razor wire or, or something like that as punishment. And so right there, and then obviously, you know, he shouldn't be doing those things as a kid, but you again wonder how that kind of psychological thing plays in as a young child of doing something wrong. And also the sexual element of that, played in with then the harsh punishment that, that his father distributes upon him and you, you wonder how much psychological damage or how much that sort of chemically changed his brain or whatever and then we, we obviously see what happens later on without trying to be an arm, armchair psychologist on this because obviously I, I have no real meaningful input on this it is fascinating to at least think of that as a question and think about the fact that there was some sort of sexual misconduct in his young youth that then led to a quite extreme punishment and whether or not that had any kind of um, sort of um, avenue moved that moved anything on the meter as, as far as what his later life would become. Well, we're all amateur psychologists on this podcast, really. Because <laughs> first, in fact, on the first podcast, Simeon had to say, "Well, we're not psychologists," and I was like, "What? We're not psychologists?" <laughs> uh, you know, so we're always donning psychological hats on this. On this podcast, yeah. but the odd thing about this relationship, just to go on, is that it doesn't seem like because if it was me, I would I would hate this person, but it doesn't actually seem like Gacy yeah. disliked his father. If, if that's, his... that's what I read as well. I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I can tell, he seemed to sort of still have sort of some sort of loving relationship towards his father, at least to some degree, and was sort of grief grief stricken when he he died, and 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 sort of he 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 had for whatever reason some sort of parental relationship still with him and wanted to love and press him or, or whatever it was so there wasn't a complete breakdown as far as that to the same degree where he completely rebelled against his father and wanted him dead it sounds like that wasn't the case and it was difficult for him once his father did die and it sounds as if he also never physically kind of attacked his father or tried to rebuke his father in any way that he did almost seem to to take it to the punishment to some degree or another which again 
is is fascinating to think about it as, as far as maybe it's just because it started so young I, I don't know um but it is it is terrible to think about um also just before we move on from the john wayne stuff and um, when toby asked me to join the podcast he, he know, obviously knows that i'm not as detailed as you guys about these types of serial killers so he basically just asked if i could join in add some sort of context from other stuff and try and add some jokes where possible and then he told me it was john wayne gacy and i was like how the fuck am i gonna add any jokes to a john wayne gacy episode um but it did make me think of um the fact that you were talking about john wayne before and i thought well john wayne gacy to some people might not even be the worst person called john wayne um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so some people really don't like john wayne and fair enough he did some bad things but i'd, I'd probably still put him number two to gacy i'd say <laughs> yeah well, one thing one thing is is that it is worth noting uh that that uh, Gacy's father was severely physically abusive and psychologically abusive from pretty much the moment he could crawl. Like he whipped him when he was like three. I mean, with mm -hmm. with razor straps. He like he I think he Gacy was playing in his uh, garage uh, at like three age of three when he was uh, working on doing mechanic stuff. And he, he, I think he spilled paint or something. I think he hit him with one of his tools or something along those lines. He was he was just horrible. And and of course, I think uh, uh, his father was a a, a um, virulent, violent alcoholic. Um, Gacy's father also, on one dinner, uh, uh, punched his wife and like knocked out part of like like smash up her face, and she she uh, she just ran out the the door and had to like be away from the house for a few days. He was just out and out of control, violent guy. But in regards to John Wayne Gacy, uh, you know, in regards to to, to John Wayne Gacy, he um, one of the things about these types of people is you know lots of people are abused, and some people will grow up to unconsciously mirror that in their own lives, and some people will grow up to to devote their life to try to stop abuse or to be different than their parents. But one thing about John Wayne Gacy that is clear is that even if he was not born a born monster. He has the at the very least the tendency towards becoming the psychopath that he became, and one thing is is, is psychopaths have a a worship and they, they 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 all they really care about is power, and everything is in the context of power. Uh, Gacy, I think, as we'll discuss throughout this episode, um, he never once held it against his father in the way of blaming him, like. His father was the paragon of everything he wanted to be. He wanted to be the powerful, dictating, dominating figure. Gacy is one of those characters that, that I think you'll find, as much as any, who could have been, he could have been a member of a, the high command of a dictatorship. Not the, not the Hitler figure, but kind of a, a, a figure kind of like, a, like some of the, the underlings. And that's sort of what he was in some ways in his... Um, you know, in 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 Chicago, he had he he had those tendencies. But the thing is, is that um, he he saw every he at some point in his childhood he internalized it and realized it's all it's about power, and and everything is about power. All human relationships are about power. There's a great quote, true crime writer Harold Schechter, who's one of the best writers of true crime. He's also, I think, a professor at the New School or something like that, and he had this quote regarding Gacy. These people grow up with such a malignant view of the world and of human relationships, feeling that human relationships are not based on love and trust and respect. That they're all based on exploitation and cruelty and inflicting pain. And that's something that Gacy learned from his father. But it's also something that he was that I think he had this inclination towards idealizing 
anyone who was in the position of power and hating anyone who was on the receiving end of it. And Gacy would later describe his victims as worthless punks and queers. And his father would always talk about Gacy was going to grow up to be a fruit picker. And when he was, you know, and you wonder when he was, he and the other boy were uh, in, were, uh, so Gacy actually leaves home. He heads west for a time. He didn't really have his diploma, but then he came back home. He enrolled at Northwestern Business College. Uh, he applied himself and um, he celebrated his graduation. Uh, before he leaves, the thing that pre precipitates him leaving is that he his father buys him a car and then keeps taking the hubcaps if he if he if he disappoints him for some reason you know to control that and Gacy eventually uh, flips out and leaves um, and showing some level of independence and to go to Las Vegas um, you know just gets in his car and heads to Las Vegas and it's relevant this is an extremely small but uh, relevant piece because uh, when he's in Vegas this, as as uh, was mentioned he did not have a high school diploma yet uh, he um he faked his age to be a part to be hired in an ambulatory service, but he, that didn't that didn't last. He gets hired um, to uh, to be an mortuary assistant. He is uh, he's and he sleeps in a room next to where the bodies are kept in the mortuary, and and what and I what many I think probably correctly see as a a major moment. That's a sort of a it's sympathetic in a, in a vacuum, but it isn't when you know the the greater context. He, um, you know, he had gr grown up uh, keeping his uh, sexuality and everything else, trying to keep that as uh, out of the way as possible. And maybe he hadn't uh, confronted it, although, um, you know, um, it's hard. It's hard to say exactly what, uh, you know, considering he, he had uh, experienced quite a bit of abuse. But um, he, he I think it is meant we're mentioning that when he was a, that when he was a boy, he was also abused by a family friend. But uh, who was a contractor, which you know he later on become. But at uh, mortuary, and um, he slept in a apparently he slept in a cot behind the embalming room, and he worked there for three months. And uh, he kind of observed how the the embalmers kind of dealt with dead bodies and, and things like that. I think he also helped out with being a pallbearer a little bit. And apparently one night he actually climbed into the, the coffin of a deceased teenage uh, boy and sort of embraced and caressed with the, the body. And then that sort of apparently put him in a state of, of a sense of shock. And uh, the, like the next day he like phoned his mom and asked him if he could come home. And then they, they drove back to Chicago. But um, I, I kind of interlude before we get to Waterloo and before we get him becoming the colonel. But um, I thought that was a fascinating little minor detail. But he, when he was uh, working for this mortuary in Las Vegas, he's briefly there. He, one night he, he just, he, uh, on a whim, he climbed in, in, into one of the bodies and fondled the dead body of one of the boys lay on top of it. And then the next morning he was so freaked out that he left and went back home. And, and starting to come to grips with himself, but in ways which would uh, not lead to obviously anything good. But he, but he, he, that, that something on that trip uh, had a, had a major effect on him. And when he comes back, he seems to start moving forward, either due to some um, animating force or due to, or due to fear. But he start, he's, he does start, he, he, he starts to enroll in business college. 
Um, even though he didn't have a, 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 a high school diploma or a, a GED, um, but he, he, he's moving forward. Yeah, so he does enroll in Northwestern Business School. He graduates. On graduation, he actually gets a management training job at Nunbush uh, Shoe Company. In uh, 1964, the, the shoe company transferred him to Springfield. In March of that year, he became engaged to Marilyn Myers, a, a co-worker. Fortune smiled on young couple as Marilyn's parents purchased a string of Kentucky Fried Chicken franchises in, in Waterloo, Iowa, and moved there. Uh, the family was left with it. The family home was left with the newlyweds. Uh, Springfield offered more than a bride to the dynamic young Chicago native. It was in Springfield that he discovered the Junior Chamber of Commerce and joined the local group of energetic young businessmen and professional men the time which he really enjoyed he joined the springfield jc's club by 1965 gacy had risen to the position of vice president of the springfield jc's the same year he was named the third most outstanding jc in the state of illinois the jc's have a long history of there's some interesting auspicious members of the jc's bill clinton was it was it was in was in his branch of the JCs, JFK, Elvis, Al Gore, Ted Turner. Um, I, I I think Hubert Humphrey was in the JCs, but it was a it, it, that was a particular um, a springboard for a lot of people, and it was and it was a and Gacy by this point was pretty good at ingratiating himself into situations. I think he learned a lot growing up about how to avoid. Exert some level of uh... what is the is the JCs like uh, the skull and bones for like lower middle class ambitious <laughs> American men or something like that? You know, junior so. chamber junior members of the chamber of commerce, uh, local chamber of commerce or something. It's it's for men who are I think I think like eighteen to 20, thirty five or something. So it 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 seemed like he was working too hard. Uh, friends, kid, that he was like a borderline uh, alcoholic. Uh, no, Bradshaw. He was a borderline workaholic. Uh, Gacy really liked the limelight. He he liked the JCs uh, a lot. He liked to mix with important people. This drive kind of reflected his broader need for attention, and he was getting this attention. You there, Simon? Or or? Uh... I am. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't know if you were wanting me to speak. Oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, you know, one 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 thing is is also that... like he would he okay. would do a lot of like uh, joy rides as well at this time. So he often drove like he was a teenager, burning rubber, and uh, people in the local community would see him. So you know, he was so he was a workaholic. He was in the JC. He had some status in the community, but he always like loved this need for attention. Like he once cut into a funeral procession in, and joined the mourners as he was driving to work. Um, police, like the police gave him a ticket. He was ticket for speeding again the same year. Prior to that, he was picked up for ignoring stop signs as well. Gacy had a, uh, had a consistent record of, of driving really recklessly. You see later in the story when he's being uh, uh, trailed by the DePlanes uh, um, police, that he, he would re regularly drive like 60 to 80 miles an hour in side streets and you know not just on the highway he he he, he was he has a he has a number of um 
qualities that you you do see with a lot of psychopaths, but I mean, not not just with you know violent ones or whatever, but one of the but a couple of them he you know, he he um he has does the thrill seeking behavior not just with uh, the the driving but lots of other things you know some of his crimes are impulsive. He also one thing you see with a lot of psychopaths is that they and this is with Gacy with Gacy as well. Uh, one of the things that does help them succeed actually they don't require a lot of sleep. Gacy didn't sleep very much. And uh, and he, he they don't require a lot of sleep, a lot of rest. They 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 they, they prefer to be up, and and they 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 don't sleep very much. As you know, it's it's a, not all of them, but it's a common thing, and he, and that was the case with him. And he is he does seem kind of driven uh, to succeed and to pursue uh, power and affirmation and validation uh, in 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 these you know in these organizations where he couldn't get it at home. And also as part of the lifelong pursuit of being the one who has the power, the one who has the status, the one who uh, who is in control or, or uh, is is um, compelling some compelling some level of action, you know, to some degree um, when these types of people, when they become socially accepted and socially validated. What, ha what happens is, is that they do, they they see that as as their their kind of. Um, their game being won, they they see that as their their um their manipulation and uh, control of uh of the things external to them uh, that 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 is uh, being proven by that you know and in some people's case like Debarta Lehman our last episode you know kidnapping and abusing women but something can it can also and then Gacy with the boys but it can also be through um kind of compelling uh you know validation and acceptance from the external society even if it's offered to you because because you've made it happen and uh and you're you're the person who is who's powerful at that point gacy and his new bride moved to waterloo which is a more of a mi middle income area fairland streets um and uh he he takes up woodworking and, and, and gardening um at this he has his first son and then a daughter uh the boy's middle name was the same as father and grandfather's first name is john uh this the girl's name was the same name as his mother brain so they, they develop this kind of like storybook life and and marriage i think everything's going very Pleasantly, at this time he was married to uh, his boss's daughter as well, which also gave him like a, a specific status um, in the community. Uh, he became an efficient manager, working on salary and co commission, but he still joined the JCS club again and, and quickly plunged headlong uh, into the into the activities of the, of the club. Actually, um, this comes at the time where we have like the first, like opinion of, of Gacy. So like uh, another member of the JC club, an attorney, Peter Burke considered Gacy's obsession with braggadocio and lying to be disturbing. Like he was annoyed by Gacy always talking about his being politically influential and uh like being appointed to like 
committees by the Illinois uh, governor. Gacy also talked about being part of the Marines as well. Um, he used to announce himself as Colonel Gacy as well, which annoyed <laughs> some people. I probably um, attracted him to some other people as well. It's also funny because his that he called himself the Colonel because his father-in-law put him in charge of, uh, of, <laughs> of three uh, KFC restaurants. <laughs> and even part of the reason why he did that. Uh, Gacy is someone who, who to some people came off as jocular and fun and to some people came off as as pushy and overly braggadocious and a liar and it depended on i guess the context in which person it was and you know how it was the the, the right mixture or the wrong mixture at the moment but um but yeah. yeah he also like tried to convey you know like a paramilitary like aesthetic as well um through his lies about being a marine he also had like a flashing red light siren on his station wagon which helped uh he was telling people he was a marine you know his his 210 pound frame kind of helped him with that he tried to convey this power military aesthetic he also had a flashing red light siren on his station wagon which helped um helped him to convey that and help with his play acting JC's acquaintances were repulsed and repelled by the policeman play acting. But again, you know, others weren't. And it, and it's all part of Gacy trying to project this other self, this, this, this sort of better, more adequate. When you look at his crimes, clearly Gacy is kind of like DeBartolabe and like some of these other guys. He is, he is a sexually sadistic killer. He is a sexual sadist, mm -hmm. but... That is, which is the worst kind, but, but he, um, there is a real question as to what degree he was a necrophile. I think this was, this was, he was so repressed. His sexuality was so repressed that, you know, that, you know, climbing in with the, the dead body of that boy was a, um, what was kind of just like the, the closest he'd been able to expressing any, any mm -hmm. version of, uh, of his homosexuality, um, at all because of the repression. And also he has control because it can't move. But this isn't a guy who's like kind of like Dahmer or, or Ed Kemper. He's not a necrophile exactly. I think this was I think this was just the beginning of something. But it is it is it is, I think, highly noticed, highly noteworthy because I'm not sure he has had any anything close to a homosexual encounter before that. Mm. And he doesn't have any homosexual relationships, actually. Any like like he, no boyfriends. Uh, he 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 only ever has these sort of domineering relationships, but that might have been just a way for him. That might have been relatively innocent, a way for him to uh, to to at least to 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 um, express it to some to some um, in co-op degree, some some incipient degree, you know, um, just 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 by climbing in and 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 uh, fondling the body. But it, it, something about it ter um, terrified him. Yeah, it's a good way segue to the first incident. So James uh, Tillery was a student at East High School in Waterloo. He told investigators that when he was 16 and working at one of the fried chicken outlets on August 1967, Gacy invited him to his home for a drink to play pool and watch stag movies. Gacy's wife and children were visiting um, in Springfield. Uh, Tillery says that Gacy got him drunk and then 
wanted him to perform uh, oral sex on on him, but uh, the boy wasn't interested. But then uh, it it kind of steadily got violent. So Gacy walked into the room and leveled a kitchen knife at him. Mm. Uh, By that time, the boy was unsteady and sluggish from the effects of the alcohol he had consumed. And uh, slowly he he was backed into the room, uh, stopped only when his legs brushed against the bed. Gacy lunged at him and the boy sprawled backwards in the bed with Gacy on top of him. Uh, Turley struggled to push the man off off him and the knife nicked him on his left arm. Blood poured from the cut, spreading over his arm and onto the bedstead. Uh, The boy yelled, apparently sobered by the blood and the scream. Gacy rolled off him and stood up, helping the boy to his feet. They both were panting. Gacy put the knife down, dabbing at the blood with a paper tissue. The boy stumbled, dazed from uh, the bedroom, and then uh, Gacy... Uh, Give me one second here. So um, Gacy wanted to do some uh, bondage on him. James just basically kind of gave in. Um, so his his hands were securely tied to his back. Gacy pushed him onto a chair, then steadily climbed uh, onto him. Um, James jerked backwards uh, and Gacy toppled. The boy said that he remembered being lifted roughly from the chair, half carried, half pushed up the stairs and back into the bedroom. Again, he would... He was shoved violently onto the bed and from somewhere chains were produced and fastened around his legs. Moments later, Gacy's hands were around his neck, choking him. James struggled momentarily, then slumped. As Gacy felt the body become limp under him, he removed his hands from around the the youth's neck, uh, lifted himself up and unshackled the victim. Uh, James left the house a few minutes later. Uh, Gacy was not attacked. Uh, the Gacy was not charged with with, with attacking uh, James. Yeah, you, there's you, you can sort of see in this, he's he's sort of building it piece by piece. When we covered Dean Coral, we didn't really. There's a lot that isn't clear in his story about how he becomes these sort of psychopathic, sexually sadistic murderer boys. With Gacy, you can sort of see the progression. I mean, one of the reasons he was studied more, you can see the progression sort of piece by piece of him trying these various things. And I think in every case, it's about proving that he is the, uh, the, the aggressor, the victimizer, not the victim. It's, it's putting him in his father's position uh, rather than the position that he was in. And uh, then that fuses with his, you know, his, his, se- his sexual desires. It fuses with his, his you know, his, his sexual interests, kind of, the, which is just him. And uh, and then that sort of becomes what this is. But but it seems like a lot of what this is, is is that with a lot of killers, they don't necessarily know that they're going to become killers. They don't know how far they're going to go with sexual assaults. It's kind of an experimental thing. And the JCs and all this stuff, it creates this uh, it creates this. um, I don't know how I put it, but it, it, it creates this 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 kind of ecosystem that allows for it to happen. Um and and after he got left his home where he where he, you know where he was just kind of hiding the whole time he's um 
he he's uh, found himself into these into these places where he can he where he's able to kind of abuse the situation up to a point. Um, but he's he's sort of I think moving step by step to becoming the um, sexual predator that that he becomes uh, pretty quickly. May of 1968, um, Gacy was actually indicted for allegedly sodomizing a teenage employee, Mark Miller. Um, Gacy obviously maintained his innocence, uh, but Gacy was charged with hiring a young man, Dwight Anderson, to beat up Mark Miller. But Miller was able to escape his attacker and had Anderson arrested, who confessed to having been hired by Gacy. Gacy was charged and forced to undergo uh, psychiatric uh, evaluation because of this. Gacy's uh, for the father, you know, the you know his father-in-law at that time said that you know when he you know I think this was after he got arrested, he looked into this. But apparently, Gacy was um, there were several complaints at the KFCs and other places. Gacy you know, was you know was of him um, you know sexually harassing and threatening employees and uh and 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 eventually this stops being covered up but the 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 one you meant just mentioned uh Millar, uh, that, that whole that whole thing that this was he 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 was a um this this was a pattern he had when he was in charge of these businesses uh, of harassing the employees and dean coral did that as you know when he was uh you know when he was his candy the candy company i think once yeah so in september and again, in October, Gacy was referred uh, by order of George uh, Heath, who was the judge in the 10th District of Iowa, a psychiatrist for evaluation for his mental health. Um, copies of their report would be provided to both the attorneys for the defense and for the prosecution. Um, he was sent to the State Mental Health Institute in Buchanan County. A month later, he was transported to the psychiatric hospital at the state of University of Iowa. The prognosis was not very favorable to the defendant, although Dr. Leonard Heston, assistant of psychiatry at the state psychopathic hospital, concurred in finding Gacy mentally competent to stand trial. It was recommended that he receive firm and consistent external control. So the judge, uh, Judge Van Meter, uh, pronounced the sentence of 10 years at the Iowa State Reformatory for Men at Anamosa. It was the maximum allowed at the time for the offense. It would be another decade before the criminal code of Iowa was revised so that under certain circumstances, a similar offense could be prosecuted as a form of sexual abuse, carrying a maximum penalty of 25 years in prison. When he was at the uh, the the hospital, the mental hospital, uh, he he continued to play these games of manipulating the situation, and and lying and trying to control the thing. He kind of made it a bit easier, but this is one thing you see is you see with Rodney Alcala with his with the um, the military seeing him uh, better. Some people are better at seeing this than other people, and in Gacy's case, the psychi the psych uh, the psychiatric. Uh, the psychiatrists see uh, see him pretty clearly, and and buttressed by his behavior in the, in 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 the context of that hospital when he was there, and uh, and I think one person also said that you know beyond just even a psych psychiatric words, one of the investigators when he was you know he was doing that whole thing about hiring people to to uh, 
you know, to to you know to to uh, take out someone who was going to testify against him or whatever, doing this kind of stuff. Someone, one of the people who was evaluating him said, "There's there, you know, I think he was prosecuting him in court." Said that, you know, there is an evil side to this guy, you know, that is evident. And this is even before, obviously, he he was known as a murderer, but he was he would hire people to try to take out witnesses and threaten people, and you know. So, so, so what was the issue with the politician that you guys were talking about? Um, so the um, Donald Voorhees, who I think is the uh, one, I believe he he ultimately is uh, gets um, arrested for. I think he was the son of Donald Voorhees, who was a local politician. Uh, Simeon can correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but that, yeah, that, that, that's that's correct. I think. Yeah. So, um, I guess it's just: Do we want to go straight? Oh yeah, into, Donald Voorhees. Um, in, into the Voorhees case. Um, Are you guys? Or, there? Um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we we get into uh, the assault of Donald? Because it was Donald Voorhees Hello? Junior, and then he was the son of Donald Voorhees. So some original naming there. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a senior junior thing? Yep. Um. So y- yes. Um. August 1967, uh, Gacy sexually assaulted the 15-year-old uh, Donald Voorhees, who was the, the son of Donald E. Voorhees, a um, local politician. Um, so um, Gacy lured Voorhees to his house and um, apparently showing him some um, heterosexual stag films, um, he got, Gacy sort of plied him with, with alcohol and, and things like that and, and um, sort of persuaded him to engage in um, some some oral sex and, and things like that. And, um, yeah, we, we then get, uh, I've got a quote here, um, is it, I think you have to have sex with a man before you start having sex with, with women, was what apparently he said. Um, and then over the following months, I'm just reading here, Gacy similarly abused several other youths, including one who he encouraged to have sex with his own wife before blackmailing him into performing oral sex on him. Um, and then Gacy also tricked other teenagers into believing he was uh, commissioned to conduct homosexual experiences in the interest of scientific research and paid them uh, up to $50 each. Uh, and then March 68, Voorhees reported to his, his father that, that Gacy had, had sexually assaulted him. And then uh, Voorhees Sr. immediately informed the police and Gacy was, was arrested and, and subsequently charged uh with with i think it's oral sodomy was was the, the crime and uh, attempted assault um i don't know if you guys want to take this any further but that kind of takes us up to the point of the the initial arrest and then we have some later witness intimidation stuff yeah it, it's worth noting that that uh gacy um uses these sort of pretty pretty kind of classic grooming techniques first doing with the uh the the uh heterosexual uh uh stag films Apparently, mm-hmm. the stag films was a thing that there was a lot in the JCs, along with uh, wife swapping and things like that, which Gacy was involved with. But also, he uses this stuff. Gacy at one point appointed himself, like declared himself, like a human sexuality ambassador or something <laughs> like that. I think that he must have really gotten a lot of resources uh, somewhere, um, you know, maybe from some of the same places. I don't know that Dean Coral did. I don't know, but he got a lot of resources and and and, and sort of figured out how to do this because you know. He didn't. It's it's strange that he sort of he has all this stuff down, how to groom people, you know, 
which things to use and then and then follow up with and and then you know he he does that and and he so he must have availed himself of some level of resources but the thing is he figures out with these types of uh, kids you know would you 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 put on a porn movie you have it be a straight porn movie and then you go from there to the next to the next thing and then you then you know so he has he has this this whole thing down and he must have got it from somewhere and he and as i said within the context of the jc's he was a um he was the you know he he was a self-described expert in human sexuality and and so i think he must have been gotten some sort of literature some sort of resources that he was drawing on that he uses to to just do the step by step playing this whole thing out and uh, manipulating these these boys yeah human sexuality ambassador that's that's very 60s of him yeah, so, <laughs> well this was the 60s this was the 60s with the culture yeah so now we move on to prison gacy leaves the life of backyard barbecues house parties cigars drinks friends his wife his kids and he becomes you know a denim clad prisoner two six five two six he gets sentenced to ten years in jail. You said that was that was a lot more than what was expected, but it was maybe less than what was warranted. Yeah, so he might get more today, but it was more than what was expected back then. Um, his wife petitioned for divorce on the very same day that he was sentenced, on the grounds that her husband was guilty of cruel and inhuman treatment that endangered her life and health. In violation of the couple's uh, marriage vows, he asks for alimony, for property, including the car, attorney's fees, court costs, and a reasonable division of their possessions. Her father, you know, just wanted him out of her life. I know, uh, I think this is this was a case where he would never go on to see her or the children yeah. ever again. And I think they were just like, just this guy is a vampire. Just get him out of here. Yeah, so, you know, Gacy settles into prison. He settles into a routine quite quickly. He was considered to be an industrious and earnest uh, prisoner. Um, one of Gacy's close friends in prison said that Gacy would speak very badly about homosexuals. He certainly didn't have any noted sexual relationships in the prison. Uh, he's basically hatred of homosexuals. He was in there with many young prisoners. Um, he certainly felt uninterested in homosexuality. Uh, one of his friends said John Gacy um, knew who he knew in prison still was overly ambitious. Uh, he still would tell fake stories about himself. He always read the Wall Street Journal. What, what Gacy was, uh, you know, I think develops his... Um kind of natural abilities as a as a as a politician uh and particularly as an operator you might say rather than like he's you know not a politician runs for things but as an operator be kind of a bureaucrat um he's really good at that in prison and uh the guy he hung out a lot with in jail said that uh you know he had many fine qualities that in the context of a different life you know could have been put to great use he had an ability to get he had he had leadership ability and and ability to just get people on the same page and uh you know he he uh, at one point 
uh, got the leadership uh, in the prison to 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 uh, buy a, a like a used miniature golf thing and 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 he, he fixed it up and Gacy at one point uh is it was observed that pretty quickly he he what he he did he he got out of the requirement to wear standard prison garb he 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 was in charge of the kitchen in the in, in the prison and when in charge of the kitchen he made sure that the best cuts of meat were set out for the for the for the guards and the warden he made sure that particular things were made at particular times he really got an incredible training in business in jail kind of like when people talk about rappers i think like jay-z talking about being a you know being a drug dealer you know t- teaching you some things about business gacy made being in jail like the ultimate uh, business college and uh and and bureau and uh, corrupt bureaucrat uh, school and he, he he was really good at that uh so gacy tried to appeal the conviction but the appeal was turned down um at the time uh dutton stated that um the crimes were too grievous and that people who commit these kinds of crimes they often commit them again. Uh, jail or probation were the only choices available to deal with a person like Gacy. Therapy of any kind was to be involved. The prevailing theory held the state. Correctional professionals uh, were more knowledgeable and better equipped to deal with this kind of treatment than civilian psychologists. So the Supreme Court of Iowa dismissed the appeal and the conviction stood. So as the results of uh, his divorce, uh, Gacy was directed to pay 350 for his wife's attorney fees. Property was awarded to Gacy, included uh, his movie camera, projector, screen and other film equipment. Um, the woman... Uh, returned with her children to the comfort and security of Springfield and obtained her old job at the store. She told a neighbor that she had been unable to hold her marriage together because her husband was a homosexual and abused children. This kind of brings us up to the, um, to one of the biggest questions of the case, which is that considering, uh, what the psychiatrist said about Casey, that he was a sexual predator who would not be fixable and not amenable to any form of treatment that he was a psychopath and all these things um and that there were certain things that were that were decided in the courts at some point though he gets out and there isn't any really good answer for how that happens because he doesn't end up serving anything close to the 10 years if he had served the 10 years none of the people he killed would have been dead every one of them would would, you know because he would have gotten out in 1978 rather than 1968 um, and, uh, that's whoever, wh- whether it was a matter of bribery or just, you know, a stupid decision or, or, or corruption or whatever, him getting out is, is the reason why over 30 boys died, um, and uh, at his hands. Um, but the thing about it is, is that we don't really know, but we do know that he was very good at, at, you know, payola and bribery and sucking up when he was in jail and that he, maybe he so maybe there was something exchanged behind uh behind the back so to speak uh that you know that that is why he ended up getting out after like a year and a half instead of 10 
Gacy lost his wife, he's lost his children, lost his place in the community. At that point, he still had uh, some some friends who, you know, who felt sorry for him and were sympathetic uh, to him. When he leaves, though, he, uh, you know, he kind of goes back. To, he, he never goes back to Waterloo. He's done with that. I'm sorry. So okay. Gacy was transferred to the prison release center at Newton, the minimum security institution where he was to spend the last few months of his sentence. It was Charlie Hill who stood up to see him on family day. On family day in Newton, prisoners were given furloughs for a few hours outside the gates. Gacy qualified and his friend Charlie drove him 30 miles west to Des Moines for steak and baked potato dinner. Gacy ate too. His friend watched, pleased and o only mildly surprised at the, as the burly convict dug into the double meal. When Gacy left Newton on June the 18th, 1970, he was a passenger in a car driven by his friend, Charlie Hill. A momentary at least, Gacy's enthusiasm for life was dampened. He admitted to his friend that he was oppressed by his experience in prison and by the way he had been mistreated and framed on the sodomy charge. He was also bitter because while he was in prison, his father died during the Christmas holidays and state correction officials refused to permit him to return to Chicago and attend the, the funeral. This is such an important part of the story because uh, it is worth noting that when he got married and got these, you know, these jobs managing the KFCs and everything like that, um, and had children on the way that uh, at a family, um, I guess a family Christmas or something, um, Gacy's father did tell him, told him, I'm sorry, I was wrong about you. And, uh, you know, and that he, he and that he was he was he was uh, happy and impressed with his, you know, becoming a man. And, and that was like Gacy's dream was to hear something like that and get that validation. And then when Gacy went to jail, apparently. Uh, his father w uh, cried, like the one time he was seen as crying. And when his father died, Gacy genuinely broke down and, and wept. And there is something about Gacy that's different than, say, someone like Ted Bundy. I think he had at least some some um, basic capacity to 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 care about, uh, you know, his relationships with other people that, you know, Bundy didn't even understand that apart from just pure acquisitiveness. Gacy, I think, at least on some emotional level cared about how his father, you know, uh, thought about him. And, and when his father died, the guy who he knew at the prison said he really, he broke, he, that, that was the one time he saw John Gacy, uh, cry. He really did break down and, and that he wasn't allowed to go to the funeral really bothered him. And, and I think Gacy also said that he, that he, that he thought that he was the reason why his father died. Now his father was a hardcore alcoholic, from the jump, pretty much. His father died from complications from alcoholism. But the thing is, is that Gacy had thought that he had made had made his father proud and that then his father, seeing him go to jail for sodomy, was what what killed him. And it probably wasn't, but uh, that was how Gacy thought, thought, uh, thought of it. And when his father dies, it's kind of the final thing. It's like that whole psychodrama. You can't fix it. You can't patch it up. You can't go to the funeral, but also his father is is out of his life now. So he is. It's only him now. It's only him trying to channel the specter of his father to to be this powerful 
figure to be the victimizer rather than the victim. So now, now that he kind of like when we get to Dahmer, when his, you know, when he's away from his fundamentalist grandmother or whatever, when Dean Corll's mother leaves, the the only things that are getting in the way of these inclinations towards this or the, the sexuality, but, you know, but not just the sexuality, but the violence is removed. And he doesn't have to impress anyone anymore. He doesn't feel like he does. The, the only person whose validation he cared about is dead now. And so now it's just all about becoming some facsimile of his father, becoming the dominating uh, victimizer, becoming a real, uh, the, the, the real man in the context of his sexual fantasies. So after driving 250 miles from Waterloo to Chicago, he moved in with his 61-year-old mother in the family home and obtained a job as a chef at a restaurant in Chicago's Loop. Cooking was a profession he understood and was comfortable with. Managing the Kentucky Fried Chicken Atlas in Waterloo had provided valuable experience for that. Jobs for cooks and, and chefs were plentiful. Gacy moved around, finally landing a position at an eating spot popular with members of Chicago's professional hockey team, the Blackhawks, although he was not an avid sports fan. Uh, his mum was pleased at the ease with which Gacy was readjusting to civilian life. It seemed like the the prison experience was was fading, but it was difficult for him this time. Uh, he, he fashioned a recreational room for himself uh, out of the one-time playroom, installed a sliding glass door, and had a pool table, games machines, and a bar that kept stocked with several bottles, uh, each of J&B Scotch. At the Greyhouse bus tournament, Clark and Randolph Streets in Chicago's Loop, uh, was one of the busiest stations in the world. Every day, thousands of passengers from the cities, towns, and farms throughout the United States from, and from foreign countries arrived aboard sleek uh, scenic cruisers there. On February the 12th, 1971, John Wayne Gacy Jr. was charged by the Chicago police for disorderly conduct on the complaint of a teenage boy. Uh, the youngster admitted homosexual said that he was picked up at the bus terminal by Gacy who then took him to his home and tried to force him to commit a sexual act. The case was dismissed when the boy failed to, to appear in court. So Gacy passed his parole. Uh, his neighbors uh, in the neighborhood he lived with his mom did not learn about the issue that he had with the boy. Uh, neither did the Iowa Board of Parole, unaware that Gacy had been accused of a sexual offense in Chicago and basing their judgment in part on reports from Illinois that he was adjusting well to his freedom. The discharge was signed by the board chairman, George L. Paul, the next day. On November the 22nd, Iowa Governor Robert D. Ray reinstated full citizenship to Gacy. You wonder about corruption here, too. <laughs> I don't know. Well, how come? Well, just with everything having to do with, with Gacy, uh, he, 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 is, he is so good at manipulating these situations and, and paying someone who knows someone or getting someone who knows someone to do things. I don't know. Maybe this is just a mistake. Or maybe it's just in retrospect that we, we see it this way. And here, like, this is where Gacy becomes, like, the the odd neighbor. Because um, he's cooking a lot, but he's also buying things. He's changing a lot of things. Um, he's working on shelves and knickknacks. He's, he's got potted plants in, in his uh, windowsill. He's, he's doing a lot of decorating and uh, neighbors are annoyed by the garish decorating and uneven handiwork. Uh, he explained to friends 
that he was working on his house enabled him to show off for his renovation and remodeling ideas. He worked in and around the house steadily during the years he lived there. Uh, his main problem was that he never seemed to have time to properly finish the, the jobs that he started. Yeah, um, and he, even in this time, Gacy still has some of the old problems. So on June the 22nd, 1972, he was arrested again. Police picked him up on charges of aggregated battery and reckless conduct. Uh, the trouble started on Chicago's action-oriented near north side. The, nor the near north is the home of some of the city's most well-to-do citizens, as well as Chicago's playground. A young man told police that he was standing on a street corner when Gacy swung his car towards the curb, flashed a badge and identified himself as a sheriff's deputy. The youth was ordered into the car under threat of arrest. He said that after he got into the car, he was forced to perform oral sex on the driver. After completing the act, he cowered in the passenger seat, bright build, building, while the bogus police officer continued driving. In the suburb North Brooks, some 20 miles from where the young man had first climbed inside, the driver stopped the car and again demanded sex. The youth shook his head and jumped out the, out the door. The driver tried to run him over. The charges were eventually stricken with leave to reinstate by the court. The case was never brought to trial. It was to be more than six years before Gacy was again named in a police complaint. He's really good at, manip at whether, whether it's manipulation or whether it's just taking advantage of the failure of uh, the legal system. He's really he's really good at that. And and what's consistently seen within throughout this entire case is just looking the other way. And 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 part of the reason that happens is because. As you'll see, we'll see in the Dahmer case. We saw, you know, without, without you see the way that the Dean Coral case was covered, even after the, the murders were uncovered, that if there's anything that's seen as, uh, you know, icky homosexual stuff, we don't want to know about it. But also, it's it's just not a big deal to 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 report these things unless the person who is being targeted is incredibly important or in let or related to someone incredibly important. I think one of the reason. He, Gacy got sent up for ten years was because the father of the of the boy he uh, he abused and threatened uh, was uh, someone of note. But he is just he is um, kind of like I talk, we talked about with the Alcala one. He is um, he he is uh, adapting to the environment and figuring out the ways in which to target prey, both the way we he can target them and the way that he can get away with it and. Uh, and and part of he uses the cop thing as a part of the way to 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 make it effective, but he also seems to have a a, a corresponding way to deal with the legal system, and to, uh, you know, and in large case, legal system just deals with itself. It doesn't really pursue the situation like it's a real problem, um, at least not yet, um, and certainly not for a long time. During the intervening period, barely a year after Gacy's trouble in Northbrook. His neighbors and other Americans sat before their television sets, watching in fascination and horror as news cameras focused on the activities of a sex and torture murder ring uncovered in Houston. At least 27 boys and young men had died in what was described as the worst multiple murder in American history. Dean Coral, a 33-year-old Houston electrician, was named as the homosexual mastermind responsible for the slayings. Many of them were carried out with help from a 17 year old neighborhood boy wayne henley i'm not even sure if it's at this point yet but gacy would take direct inspiration from green coral they're not just similar in their um mo and their victimology they they um 
Gacy takes direct inspiration from him. And when it comes to like the party house that Dean Coral has in his, uh, in his place in Houston, Gacy, uh, you know, sets his own house up like that. He, he does have some people who he brings on as not quite assistance to the level of, 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 um, Dean Corals, but as, as, you know, as lackeys, as henchmen, uh, to, to do some function, mainly digging in his crawl space. But, um, but you know he he does, and then of course the rope trick, which he eventually uses, and as he describes it, he takes from uh, Dean Coral when he reads about it. So Dean Coral is the direct antecedent, direct precursor to John Gacy. They're very similar, and maybe the one guy, as we described, who you know who we've covered, who might be worse. Well, I mean some of the California Freeway killers too, but uh, Dean Coral was just an this an absolute just like monstrosity of a person. Very much like Gacy, and Gacy saw the things that he was able to do as being, oh, this is something. This is this is something you can use. So at the same time, uh, in his public life, Gacy was building up a reputation as gracious and a generous host. He especially enjoyed hosting theme parties, guest-togethers that featured a specific time in history or geographic location, and offered an opportunity to dress in appropriate costume. Theme parties were kicked off in 1974 with the Hawaiian party. Does Gacy, Gacy get married in this period as well? Again. Gacy gets married again. I think her name was Carol Hoff. And she was, I think, a, a divorcee who had kids. One thing about Gacy it's worth mentioning is, is that he's really good with, uh, he's, you know, no, no, none of the women married to him neither of them had any issues with him as as a father or around other kids and and he was apparently very uh generous uh and 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 friendly and loving even to uh to the to to the daughters that they had and i don't know if that had an effect on who he chose but but he but i think his second wife is someone who uh was desperate and it's a little bit like dean coral's girlfriend i think it's someone who was desperate who he could target and the thing about it is, is that Gacy is gay, but he doesn't even have relationships with men. He has these sort of these sort of predatory victim, uh, victimizer and victim thing. But with women, I think it's all just about the idea of being married. He hates gays in large part because he he says he said they're 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 uh, pathetic and weak. And I think the main reason was that they're that they're putting this some sense of personal authenticity or some sense of of uh, you know. An inability to cover it up, or 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 to, or to uh, match or dictate society's expectations, uh, they're not they're, they don't have the right priorities, and they're willing to be marginalized or set apart, rather than a real man fits into the the hierarchy, in, in, you know, and and seeks status and seeks validation and seeks um, part of that is being married, you know. One in one of the interviews, Gacy said that he. Um, that that he that you know as part of the thing being not gay is he's is you know he said his preference is women i've been he's been married enough times <laughs> for that to be seen as the case he's been married enough times and you know you get married uh, uh, twice and you probably have sex with women you know that many times or whatever and um or a few more times than that probably because he had two children himself but the thing is is that it's all just about this idea of having the the power that comes from being viewed as a real man in society and that comes from being married it's a really interesting thing so you you say that it like he's fitting in as a sign of self mastery 
right? So it's fitting in, and then like the gay people, they're being authentic, but authentic authenticity is like it's like not being not being self mastering, not being stoic, and all the pain and the psychological anguish she goes through to like present this image, it is is what he values almost. And some of it isn't pain and psychological anguish. To some degree, all psychopaths are presenting an image, and he kind of believes that's what that's what it is. To 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 be a person in in society, to be a person with other people, is to to not is not even self mastery. It's it's mastery. I mean, I guess there is some self mastery involved, but it's mastery of society by fitting their image and then crafting it to fit you. And in many ways, when he you know when he even with something like his clown persona, you know, in some ways that's crafting how he's perceived. But it, 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 in in that context, but in general, it, it's 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 taking the expectations of society and both fitting them and then using them to fit you, and that is what he, one of the things he's seeking. And it's sort of like I mentioned to you the comparison point to you know, in um, Tony Kushner's play, which was became an HBO movie like 15 years ago, Angels in America. Um, it, you know how Tony Kushner writes Roy Cohn, you know the infamous uh, HUAC guy. He worked for uh, McCarthy, you know the lawyer. Um, Roy Cohn, as written at least by Tony Kushner, we know about him. This is he is kind of this type of figure, this, this sort of demonic figure. But Roy Cohn, um, as written by Tony Kushner, it's very similar to with Gacy. He's he he talks about how you know he's just a good American, a good patriot. Uh, you know, who fucks around with men, not a faggot, because a faggot is a is a term as a socially disreputable person. That's what, a you know, any any term you want to use for a homosexual, that's a socially disreputable person, weak and pathetic, as Gacy says, you know, choosing marginalization and uh, being an outcast and, and, and not and not not being approved of over power and status and um what and, and how you're perceived by being a proper man in society and a, and a man of distinction roy Cohn, uh whatever else you may be was a man of distinction of enormous uh, intelligence and success and i think the way tony kushner wrote him Tony kushner being a, a, a gay writer i mean and 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 uh, a leftist i guess of sorts um or uh but um he but he wrote he wrote him basically as probably very accurate to this type of person as He's not a faggot. He's a good American who have who also fucks around with men. That's what he does in his private life. But what you how you are seen publicly, how in how you fit into society, the level of approbation that is who you really are as a, a, a you know as a man. Uh, so the year uh, the Western theme policy was the year that Gacy went into business for himself and started. PDM Contractors Incorporated. PDM stood for painting, decorating, maintenance. It was also the last full year of his marriage to Carol. Uh, the marriage had begun going sour long before that. It wasn't that Gacy went out of his way to be unkind, but he was an erratic, volatile temper. It seemed that he just didn't have enough time for her. He was always tired. She once recalled that during nearly four years of their marriage, her husband slept in an average of only about two hours a night, he avoided sleep as if his dreams swarmed uh, with phantoms. He would get so tired that he would sometimes stumped on the living room couch, staring straight ahead, his eyes blank, and his mind obviously lost in some own dark thoughts. 
At other times, his somber moodiness would turn suddenly savage. He was short-tempered and he was angry. His powerful hands clenched into tight fists. Then his temper flared and he would scream and throw furniture. Uh, they were married barely a year when he began leaving home at midnight or later and staying out until dawn. The couple's sex life became almost non-existent. Carol remembered that during most of the marriage, her husband couldn't perform sexually. For a time, she blamed herself. It was disturbing, and occasionally she left the bit in the sleep out in front of the other people. One thing is, it's worth noting is, is that one way in which Gacy, I think, was trying to mediate the 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 idea of, of trying to be a man like his father was that his father was one of was very conservative i don't know politically but very conservative in, in in the view of you shouldn't be out after midnight if you are unless you you leave a number if you are if you are you're being you know you're a bad guy you're being irresponsible and the thing is is that gacy to some degree cultivated this idea of being this powerful uh domineering figure like his father but also going along with that a more uh loose uh you know lifestyle where he was out at night and, and that's also how you target a good time to target uh uh boys and young men in in this sort of particularly the cruising areas of chicago but um but he was in some ways declaring his independence on in that but he was also at the same time destroying his sham marriage but um but I think in many ways, Carol married him, not just because she was, I don't think it was even because she was lonely. I think it's because Casey was wealthy. It's worth noting that PDM Contractors he's, is an incredibly successful business. Casey is a really effective businessman. He's not just someone who's good at bribing people and good at, at, at taking advantage of a corrupt system. He's actually a really effective businessman. He, he, he's, he's very good at all the components that make up a running a successful business. Largely PDM, largely... Uh, was they did they did maintenance for uh, a lot of uh, pharmacies they they re did did consulting and rebuilt a lot of a lot of um infrastructure for a lot of uh, pharmacies particularly so one day carol found a blindfold with identification belonging to a young man and her husband's late model black oldsmobile which had been outfitted with the red light and radio scanner when she asked him why the blindfold was in the car gacy exploded into another one of his rages so Gacy's social and professional life are progressing at this time more favorably than his marriage. By 1975, he was becoming too old for the JCs. It was a young man's organization, but he missed the companionship and ego boosting attention and challenge of moving into a position of importance in an organization filled with vigorous young men. So he turned to politics in Chicago and in Cook County. Politics is, is synonymous, especially back then with the Democratic Party. There are few offices for Republicans or independents. One of the few Republicans to win a major political office in Cook County in recent years was Bernard Kari. He was a 31-year-old lawyer in 1972, running for his first elective office when he upended incumbent Cook County State's attorney, Edward Harahan. Kari was the only non-incumbent elected and was sworn into office on December 4th. Gacy sought out Robert E. Matchwick, a prominent loop attorney who lived in Norwood Park and was was the Democratic Township Committee man. The portly contractor explained that he had just moved for public office himself. His aspirations were similar, even though the desire to seek elected office, the public office may have been slightly premature. Matchwick suggested that before Gacy became a political candidate, he become better known locally, involve himself in projects to help his neighbors in the community. 
service projects were something that Gacy had learned about when he was at AJC and he knew how to involve himself in community activities. He drove away from the meeting with Matchwick and High Spirits with plans to make himself known in Norwood Park Township neighborhood. He designed clown outfits for himself and selected a catchy name, Pogo the Clown. His generous stomach provided natural padding to fill out the front and topped the baggy suits with tasseled hats and added oversized coats, uh, oversized shoes and white gloves. He taught himself to paint pyramid-shaped eyes and smear on a broad smiling mouth. Only professional clowns and students of the art of clowning would recognize him as an unschooled amateur because of his sharp corners at the edges of his mouth. Knowledgeable clowns painted round corners so they don't frighten small children. Uh, Zelinsky took photos of him in the clown costume and it wasn't long before Gacy was entertaining small groups of children and grandchildren of bowling friends and picnics or Christmas parties sponsored by Norwood Township Democrats. He talked importantly of appearing at children's hospitals, but none of his friends ever witnessed the performances. One thing is, is that, you know, he's known in a lot of the popular culture because of the, the kind of the frightening visage of the of, his, of Pogo the Clown, which is short for Polish and on the go, something he made up. He's, he loved to just to, 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 uh, to kind of jerk himself off, so to speak, for being a workaholic. And he was an effective businessman, but it was this whole thing about him, you know, that this idea that he's that he's always on the go, he's always working hard, he's hustling, you know, he's in current parlance. But the thing about it is, is that there isn't really any evidence that that he used the clown uh, persona um, to you know specifically to attract boys in the way he did as a contractor, in the way he did hiring to work for his company, which he did do that. But there's something about psycho. They have to maintain, you know, in in public. What's referred to uh, by Harvey Cleckley when he wrote this book, The Mask of Sanity, because their actual persona is kind of a, a void of a personality. It's just their appetites. There's an aspect to which Gacy talked about being a clown was uh, relaxing for him. And I think part of it is that in some ways you don't have to do as much work to maintain the mask of sanity if you're channeling it into this kind of larger than life persona. So when he puts on this clown makeup and he's acting kind of in an exaggerated way, He's he gets to kind of show off and be and and be on stage, but he also gets to have that quality where he, you know, he's hiding behind a, a a he's a he's a, he's sort of displacing a lot of the effort that he has to put into maintaining this mask because he's actually wearing an actual mask as opposed to just a persona. So it's actually I I believe it. I I actually think that Gacy when he talked about clowning and when he talked about the clown, he showed a real affection for it, a real affection for like you know he 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 got. Really, he complained that after he got arrested, that the media had ruined clowning because of what they were using with him, even though he he was the one who did it. The image of clowning, he ruined it. But the thing is, is that uh, I think he actually did genuinely enjoy it as a both both as a kind of uh, being on stage, but also as a way for so for he could really relax because he didn't have to do work to maintain this other persona. He was just wearing it on his face and. Um, and and it's and and uh, that was uh, a way. I also think that maybe there's a picture of him as a, as a small boy where he's trying to look very serious and manly. And I think he probably he had us a, a goofy side, whether you know that he just eventually leaned into that. His father probably had a serious problem with. His father is one of those guys who looks like if he smiled, his face would fall apart. Just a just a nasty, glowering looking guy. And he probably didn't like Gacy even. <laughs> being silly in, in any respect that's not what a male man does 
This is a way for him to wear a mask that is socially expected, but is 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 it doesn't require the same level of effort. I think he really in, in I think he probably did genuinely find it relaxing to uh, to 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 be the clown in public because that way you don't have to wear the mask of sanity. You can wear the mask of being a clown. A clown can actually be kind of uh, professionally or uh, visually a little bit crazy. Yeah, there was a couple things on this one. Um, I kind of saw the same thing in my research, just as far as like it wasn't the case of like him going on murder sprees as, as a killer client or anything like that. In fact, one of the things I was going to ask you is it seemed almost a little bit like, which is kind of what you've already talked about, is is this chance to be a clown persona was almost like a release valve for him for some degree as far as like his, his day-to-day life and obviously him needing to do these other things outside of it with, with the rape and, and murders he, he conducted. But the, the the chance to 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 dress up as a clown, as you you, you rightly said, so, I mean, it did feel as if it was a chance to 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 move away from maybe wearing a heavier mask of of the the day to day stuff of of being a businessman of, of of putting on these parties and being able to put on a maybe slightly easier mask to wear, which was a a literal physical mask, and in the sense of of, of the clown makeup. Uh, that, oh that's yeah, so it could be almost like a halfway house, right? Mm-hmm. Between yeah. the murders and then like you know, that's like, you were so fucking much like he's like i'm i'm in the jancy's now i'm in the, the politics i'm a businessman he has to put on so many masks mm-hmm. and then the clown masks allows him to almost like it's a costume but it allows him some freedom mm-hmm. like within the the sight of other people and then like his real self or, or part of himself is like going outside and trying to like yeah rape i also kids wonder and murder kids I also wonder if there's any element of the fact that he had such an abusive childhood that there isn't a sense of being able to maybe do the kind of dress up that um, he wouldn't have been able to get away with as a kid because of his abusive father as well. Again, pop psychology, who knows? Uh, but there, there seems to be some the possibility, at least, of, of some element of that in the sense that he did seem to genuinely enjoy the clown element of it. Well, I think, in, 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 I think to some degree with Gacy's case, you know, there's a lot of pop psychology that's just wrong, but... There's, it's very easy to make a, I think, and make an accurate kind of a um, Freudian uh, type type anal- analysis of Gacy, and and of, of the sort of the symbolism of the crawl space, the symbolism of the garage that his father used to play in, that he that he that he tortured boys in. There's, it's very easy to, I think, in his case, the psychodynamic element is very clear, and I think probably pretty accurate. Not the only thing, because. A lot of it's also just he has these sexual desires, but the, but the thing about it is is that it's very difficult for a you know pro-social psychopath is that you know just I'm not sure that's the correct term, but basically a socially mm-hmm. someone who, who who is well someone who's like not like DeBartolet who's not just off on their own all the time to, to you have to to maintain to maintain this this image that the public buys like the Ted Bundy persona which was a real person a persona more than a person that requires maintenance and upkeep and it can actually be a game that they enjoy but sometimes it's just really a pain in the ass it's you know sometimes it's you just don't want to deal with it and so he whenever he can uh wear one of his uh his clown personas then he then then that can be um a way to uh not have to maintain uh a way of being perceived a certain way all the time he can literally just put on a costume and get away with as you said there's another incident from his childhood that is worth mentioning that 
he when he was uh, he used to play in a treehouse. I think it's one of those moments where the, like the last moments of, of of the innocent boy that I think at one point he was sort of being killed was uh, the treehouse was I think had to get the the tree the the treehouse and he had really built made made he loved to build things actually so he builds this treehouse in a tree they have and the tree gets cut down because it's in the way of some other things that his father wants to do or whatever or something having to do with the house. And he cries because he lost his treehouse. He's a little boy. And his father just mocks, berates him once again for being a sissy and, you know, crying. And, you know, and, and once again, I, so I, th- I think there's an, there, there was no merriment of any kind to be had. Gacy's dad was not a fun drunk. He was the drunk who just beats the shit out of his family. Um, you know, people, Gacy described his father as the sort of, you know, as having a Jekyll and Hyde persona. And I also think that's another way in which maybe he learns at some point that there are different personas that people, that people can put on people who are who are not integrated into themselves and maybe in a sense the clown is one of his personas and he would go on to blame some of the, his murders on a guy named jack hanley who was a real cop who would just go around beating up being a hippies and sissies and he was another macho figure like his father but he used this guy's name like kenneth bianchi does in order to to um to, to create an ins- a fake insanity defense, you know, because people were trying to use multiple personality, just, dis- you know, dissociative identity disorder as a way to get as an insanity defense. It didn't work, but he did try to use that. But there is something you, I think you, that he learns along the way from his childhood and then along the way that there, that people can create these different uh, facsimiles, whether it's a clown costume or whether it is just a, a different way you can behave and, and for whatever reason, that you can use and and then and, and put different parts of your personality in. and I kind of get the sense that Gacy had clown um, paintings all over his house. He had clown paintings in his room. I kind of think that he that 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 did it did embody something about the way he saw himself, and I I don't know quite what, but he had these two clown pictures, which other people found eerie. They did not look like happy clowns. But uh, for some, for something about them, Gacy found really uh, he he identified with them to some degree. The thing I'm just going to say, not to take this too off topic, is what we've already talked about with regards the the media picking up on, on the clown imagery and perhaps incorrectly kind of taking the 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 element of of his life where he was a clown and and take that into like oh well he was a killer clown in the literal sense of him like putting on clown makeup to, to kill people and, and things like that. And I think to some extent that has extended the life and expanded the reach of this this infamous person, this infamous killer, because the, there is that element to it as well. There's a sort of a perfect storm of various elements of, of sort of the perfect post-war 20th century serial killer, be it the clown side of things, be it the fact it took place in suburban white America rather than maybe say some inner city, you know, in inner city New York or, or inside, um, you know, some, some sprawling, you know, Kansas, um, outlands or something like that. So a combination of that, the fact that you've got the kind of classic abusive, abusive story of the childhood and then the fact he was caught and then he was able to I think he was on, on death row for, you know, 14 years or, or, or whatever it is. So he was able to kind of stay around the public conscience as a result of that. But the, the thing to comment on, on the clown side of things is just that how how much that the clown has been a part of the the, the the persona around like killers and of evil and 
Gacy was not the originator of this by any means, you know, even going back to something like the Joker in, in the Batman comics, you know, the, the, this idea of an evil clown has, has been around longer than Gacy, but... It predates, I think, it predates the Joker too, but I think it started in like 20s or something like that. Absolutely, yeah. So the, I, I think he, he helped cement that to some degree because he was a real-life killer who also happened to do sort of clowning on the side. But um, I, it is amazing. I mean, I haven't watched the, I think it's, it's one of the American horror horror series, um, which I haven't watched, but apparently they pick, depict Gacy in that, and he's actually in, like, full clown costume and makeup while he's doing horrible things. Yeah, that, that, which, that that's not the case. <laughs> exactly, which is interesting. I, I assume that's just kind of shorthand for, like, we need to do depict an evil character, and that they, they went with, with depicting the, the inaccuracy of doing that. But... Um, that that is just part of what the, the Gacy myth now is is that he's the killer serial killer clown even if that wasn't actually the the specifics of of how he killed people and it was more to do with what we've already discussed. Um, I I think it is a it, he has now become a big part of the kind of evil clown stuff alongside you know it or the Joker or any other number of things that were already in the public conscience or later became part of the public conscience. And I, I do think that has played a part in why he remains, or why he became such a kind of well-known um, figure alongside the fact that, as we'll, we'll discuss in a bit, I think at the time anyway, 33 was the most murders anyone in the American justice system had ever been convicted of. So just yeah, purely was, on numbers, was, yeah. yeah, purely on numbers, he was standing out, even if you put the clown stuff to one side. A lot of some people do still think that he killed, uh, you know, maybe from American Horror Story that he killed while dressed as a clown. He did apparently mm -hmm. uh, try to uh, seduce one of his employees while dressed as a clown. I think it's just he had to be dressed as a clown and then decided he was horny. But he no, he didn't. <laughs> he 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 didn't. Uh, he 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 didn't. He what he actually was was he was a respected businessman uh, mm -hmm. who who uh, who could give jobs to kids who needed money and then can target him that way. That's the actual person that people should be afraid of is the guy who has mm -hmm. social status, money, resources, and um, and uh, targets kids who are, uh, at least until the end of it, targets kids who are, are poor kids and don't have uh, clout. And, and it is worth noting that within any story you talk about with Gacy, the idea of clout is a major thing. Clout was coined, the term was coined by writers in Chicago. The The whole thing is is, is that... The social hierarchy in Chicago is not just about race or class. It's specifically about connections, about clout. And uh, Gacy was someone who uh, built clout in Chicago. And then uh, and, and the people who he was killing were white kids. Uh, but at many of them, besides many of them being poor, they didn't have clout. They were, as one person said, nameless, voiceless, cloutless. So the cops didn't bother investigating them. They're not interested in 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 in, uh, in, in young men and boys being targeted. It doesn't matter because it has nothing to do with what's happening politically. And Gacy would eventually just hire that Sam Amaranti as his lawyer or call him up because he had he thought Sam Amaranti had clout. So it's like, and Gacy had clout because he knew people. So the thing about it is, is that. Um, would actually the clown thing in some ways is why he is famous and it is a frightening image and people are scared of clowns but actually the actual person he was is a much more damning indictment of the civic uh nature of chicago at the time of the america and and actually if he was remembered for that 
that would that might actually be even more uncomfortable, but not on quite the same like mm. instinctual level. level. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I I almost wonder whether or not it's uh, actually more more an indictment of the fact that uh, you had a businessman uh, trying to hire young teenagers to come work for him. Maybe that should be the thing that's more more uh, more scary rather than the the clown side of things. To be perfectly honest, but, right? Yeah, because but no one no no one. Uh, no one was looking out for those kids. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, maybe yeah, I mean, it is weird because it's like seventy years after child labor laws. I mean, you would think that people would care about that. Yeah, well, I mean, and don't forget, and not to make this too political on today, but you know, the fact that we are now passing, or certain states in America are now passing laws that's like, yeah, you, you, we can get our kids back to work. It's fine. Uh, we're almost, <laughs> yeah. we're almost kind of swung back the other way on that now. I'm sure, John Wayne Gacy. There, there, uh, there is, there is, there is something to be it said. Builds character. I mean, yeah. but there is something to be said that the idea that having a job as a teenager can be can be good. Um, but it is also worth noting that several of the of the of the boys who were employed by Gacy did so against their parents or or you know a recommendation that they did so on their own because they wanted some extra money to buy uh, to buy a car. Or to, uh, or that they thought maybe that Gacy might be able to help them get long-term prospects. Gacy was one thing he was he was known for as a businessman is he hired teenagers. We now know why that was, but there were other reasons for it because he didn't want to have to pay union labor, uh, so he could hire them kind of off book. Uh, but the thing is, he paid them considerably better than they were being paid. In other places, when we get to the fi his final victim, where everything changes, uh, Robert Peace, he was working at a, at, a, at a pharmacy, and he came from a a, a more uh, I think a, a middle upper class family, but he he uh, was interested in, in in Gacy's pitch because it paid twice as much as would be was being paid even at a pharmacy. But many of these kids they weren't they didn't have a job like that, so they were just they were just they they might have had like wood shop and they you know at their school, but they didn't they were just looking for some some money they could they could get uh to, to you know to to buy some things so many of them were not just like taken down by their parents to like well look at this 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 nice upstanding gentleman is going to hire you no they did it on their own and uh, and uh teenage boys had a level of independence as as it, we, you get into with the coral thing another reason this wasn't investigated is the idea that if a boy disappeared oh he's a runaway or he just left to go party in some other place or left to go he just doesn't one of the they, one one of the things that really pisses pisses a per, any decent person off is they 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 would they told several of the families when they reported their sons had gone missing that oh maybe he just doesn't like you anymore i mean it's amazing <laughs> that's actually they did that cops would literally say well maybe he maybe he's mad at you just to get them off the phone and many of them they carried that around with them until they found out that that their son had been killed by John Gacy that they thought that they they had actually left because they were angry at them or whatever and uh but it, it, and you know in some cases you see uh boys who are have left home and are just going on a little adventure but they don't go for more than a weekend um so it isn't it it, it there is there is an aspect to which there was an independence that teenage boys had um I think that throughout the 80s and 90s, it starts to change after Adam Walsh and some of these other cases. You start to have much more kids being monitored. Boys, there's not the assumption after after Gacy that boys are just, you know, that, that boys are not in danger like girls are. We've talked about that throughout the podcast series. But in the 70s, that hasn't really happened much. Um, I have a half sister who's much older than me who 
this crew grew up in a totally different world than, than I did. And, um, and it is, it let's is. Go, uh, let's move on to. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Robert Giroir was the son of a Chicago police sergeant who worked at the city's central auto pound and lived near the supermarket where the notice was posted on September the 15th, 1977. The youth left home to join about 50 other young people who belonged to a questioning club and was going to be bussed several miles for the day of horseback riding. A student at the University of Illinois, Chicago, Circus uh, Circle Campus, which Zelensky attended, he was an outdoorsman who often went camping with his parents. Robert's father and some other policemen began looking for the youth who had been t talking of possibly earning some money to help pay for a transfer to school in the East where he could study animal husbandry. An official at the Blue Ribbon Riding Center in Northbrook said he hadn't attended his lessons for, for weeks. The official probe of Robert's disappearance eventually filed a 44-page report, including 20 follow-up investigations by police and additional information gathered by his father. The elder Gilroy's search turned up a report by the doorman of a luxury high-rise apartment building on the North Lake Shore Drive that the boy may have accompanied a resident of the building inside on November the 6th, nearly three weeks after he was presumably left home to meet his equestrian friends. No workable leads materialized from the report. Other reports indicated that you spent some time around the three-day intersection of Clark, Doversy, and, and Broadway in Newtown. Nothing turned up in the investigation specifically linking him to Gacy, and nothing in the investigation led to his father or police or other policemen of the boy. Uh, Matthew Bowman, barely four months before Robert was last seen by his family, 18-year-old Matthew Bowman of Crystal Lake, some 20 miles north of Chicago, disappeared. John Moreau, on September the 25th, 19-year-old John Moreau was seen alive by his family for the last time. John's disappearance was especially alarming to his family because his only sister, Judith, had been savagely murdered five years earlier. John, then 14, had, had discovered the body. The 21-year-old woman had re been released early from her job as a clerk typist with the Cook County Assessor's Office of the previous afternoon before it was an election day. Um, she was in the habit of visiting her grandmother nightly, and when she didn't show up for two nights in a row and couldn't be reached by telephone, John was sent uh, to her apartment to look for her. The family of Johnny Monroe were, were include one older brother and one younger, closed around each other in support and survived the trauma of finding his only sister murdered. By early 1977, he was discharged after serving 18 months in the Marines and was taking his first steps towards a possible career in accounting. Uh, Mary Jo uh, reports to police that he was missing for many nights after getting off work as an office clerk. She drove around Newtown and other areas of the city looking for him while Mary Jo Paulus was continuing her fruitless search for her boyfriend. Sergeant Gilroy was passing around pictures of his missing boy. Questions were being asked about John Marone areas of the north side he was known to frequent. Uh, Gacy, meanwhile, was busily continuing to build his reputation as a good neighbor, good Democrat, and community leader. He posed for photos in 1978 whilst shaking hands with Mrs. Rosalind Carter, wife of the president. The first lady autographed one of the pictures taken by a White House photographer to Gacy. Best wishes, Rosalind Carter. That's in uh, 1978, though. But as far as we know, his first murder was in 1972. You know, he was a rapist throughout the 1960s, but his, his uh, based on the the uh, the record of the case, the excavation of the bodies, and the record of the case, 
The first the first boy he's known to have killed was uh, Timothy McCoy, uh, who uh, um, who was uh, killed on the way home to Nebraska on a trip when he got off a he, he accepted a ride from Gacy at a bus stop, and we don't know anything about the 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 you know the what actually happened except what Gacy says, and he's a pathological liar. But uh, apparently, uh, Gacy brought the boy home. They had sex, and when when the boy came in the next morning, according to Gacy, he was carrying a knife, and Gacy took the knife from uh, Timothy McCoy and stabbed him instinctually because he thought he was being attacked. It turned out Timothy McCoy was holding a knife because he was slicing bacon and getting breakfast ready. Gacy said that when he stabbed him, and he said it was a pure self-defense, that uh, that he experienced a powerful orgasm and that... And he learned death was the ultimate thrill. But the thing is, is that well, a lot of times with these types of cases, you see someone who either accidentally kills someone or who kills someone for the first time and realizes that's what they like and they don't feel bad about it. But the thing is, is in this in this case, based on what we've heard of, uh, Gacy um, killed this boy as a reaction to seeing him come into the room with a knife. And we do know that he stabbed at least one boy, but he normally used strangulation. But that's the first recorded murders in January of 1972, and he's not caught till 1978. So he was killing in, in the years in between that. And, and while he was building up his PDM contractors and building up his reputation in the Democratic Party and doing all those things, all, all that is happening. We don't know for certain how this murder went down or, or if this was the first, because we just know from the bodies. But that's, uh, that's what Gacy says. Uh, just to yeah, move forward, um, uh, a spokesman for the police, Polish National Alliance said Gacy was recommended for a job by Colonel Jack Riley, Chicago's special events director under Mayor Richard Daly. Uh, Riley was credited with promoting the contractor for the task because of excellent job Gacy had done on one of the Democratic Day parades in Springfield. Gacy wore a lapel pin bearing the letter S while he was about a while and, and about 50 other people shared the parade reviewing stand in Chicago with Mrs. Carter. The pin indicated that he had been cleared by the Secret Service, which God's presidents and their families. The Secret Service was provided with the names, addresses, birth dates and social security number of Gacy and three assistants, among those of others expecting to share the reviewing stand or attend a reception of Mrs. Carter in the Daily Center during her near four hours day to participate in the festivities and to work at improving relations of her husband's administration with Chicago uh, Democrats. He was, he was good at, at, at knowing who to talk to and, uh, and, and, and how to get into places. Simon, you, you got anything on the Democrats? Um, I'm politically neutral. It doesn't say, obviously, as we've, Kind of talked about the fact that Democrats, Chicago was was obviously a Democratic stronghold, and you know it's it's um I, I, if he was going to be politically active um during this this period, of course, it makes sense that he was he was a part as part of the Democratic Party. Um, what is just very quickly worth noting is that um the from what I understand of the thing that happens later on with Carter's wife and the the, the sort of signing of, of things, from what I understand, he did. He did actually. Gacy did actually get like the the Secret Service did sort of vet him to a certain degree to make sure he was like the the 
good enough standard to be kind of that close to the president's wife and it's just just funny to think about um the secret service vetting john wayne gacy and going yeah he boasted about the, the pro about the vetting about how that showed who that he was you know he he had clout but it was it's similar to, to how Dahmer uh got into the the vice president's office it's not it's not that hard <laughs> um yeah so I, I i don't have anything more to specifically add on the democrat party other than what we've already covered um I think what is uh, interesting um, to, to kind of say, because I've, I've only got another 10, 10, 15 minutes before I need to head off, is, is that what what I do find interesting is that we, we as mentioned there with, with Timothy McCoy, it was 1972 when it was an, an accidental murder. And then by the time he, he finishes um, he finishes last murder, he's, he's on at least at least 33. So we are talking about kind of over that, that decade. From what I've read, it doesn't sound like the, the second the second murder that happens isn't until January 1974. So there's possibly a two year gap unless there's other murders we're not aware of. Um, what, what I did find interesting about Timothy McCoy though, was that if it was indeed out of self-defense and that that's as much as, as we can know, then it, it's one of those things where as soon as he, he killed, you know, that, that then, then became the, th the ultimate thrill he needed as he described. But, how how much sort of further along would he have gone with his life without killing intentionally if that quote unquote accidental murder didn't happen? I'm not saying he would or wouldn't have committed any more or less crimes, but it is a fascinating thought to think that this first one was initiated out of kind of accident rather than out of his his initial lust, like his 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 rapes had been up up until then. And I I do wonder how this story would have played out if that initial killing hadn't have happened. I'm sure he still would have gone on to murder people and been an absolutely disgusting, vile murderer on top of all the other stuff he'd already done. But it is a, it's a fascinating turning point for someone who killed the way he did and the volume he did that his first time was somewhat accidental by the sense of it. I think it was inevitable. I think that's what he was working towards from the very get-go. And kind of like when mm -hmm. Dahmer has, has hit one of the victims he, he killed when he was uh, intoxicated, you know, to quote a song, a song, a, 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 uh, Mike Cooley from the Drive by Truckers, uh, you know, drinking don't make you do a thing; it just lets you. And similarly speaking, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think that it's it that 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 this was what he wanted to do and what he was working towards. If you look at all his rapes, they're sort of building up towards this. We also don't know if this was. I've heard I've heard accounts that maybe this wasn't the way it worked. We just know this from Gacy. We did, but the only reason to believe this, honestly, is that he stabbed the kid, and he what he really likes doing is strangulation, because that's much more intimate and much more controlled. Stabbing is not controlled. Stabbing is kind of just frenzied. Um, and what he liked, loved to do, of course, and what he does in most of these murders is what's called the rope trick, which he got from Dean Coral, which was to uh, use a garret that he that he sort of, uh, you know, fat, you know uses you know a, a kind of a twisting system, kind of like, you know, where he can, like, you know, he can twist it several times, um, and mechanically he can twist it several times, and then they strangle to death after he's got the settings uh, right. Another way he can control. That's more what he does. The only reason to think with Tim McCoy that it's different is because he stabbed him. But and we don't know how many people he killed. He was uh, going between st from state to state frequently, um, and so he had lots of different air uh, bus stops and gay neighborhoods. And people he could pull over just as, you know, what with using his police siren. And, you know, there's it could be way more. He once was asked and he said 45. I think he just threw that out. But it could be way more than 32 or 33. We don't know. Um, with, with all these types of cases, Dean Coral was probably three times the number, you know, 
We don't know other than with Randy Crafty had the, the, the scorecard with the 67 names. We don't with, with, with Gacy. We don't know. It's probably a lot more, but we don't know. Um, but the thing is, is he does. He, he does. We don't really know the timeline for sure, because, as I said, he's a, he, he is a liar. But um, he does. Once he, he kills Timothy McCoy, he's he's off to the races and he can start killing um, much more indiscriminately. He, he, he becomes less and less careful as time goes on. And he, he he takes one boy off a bus when he's heading back from baseball practice. He you know he 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 he, he uses all manner of different ruses to to uh, to uh, in Chicago and outside of Chicago to, to get boys. So Simon, so Simon, I think you can get off the call now because I think we're moving on to um, like the investigation and then uh, getting Gacy. No, well, th thank you guys for having me on. I'm afraid. Get off the <laughs> Um, but yes, thanks for having me on, guys. I really enjoyed this, and um, it's actually turned what well, it's a fucking horrible thing to talk about. Actually, quite an enjoyable conversation. Simon so, got um, off because he was angry that Gacy's about to get caught. He was just he loved yeah. it when you guys are just going to badmouth a good Democrat who is just doing his best <laughs> to help win an important state. And what do I get in return? I get this bad mouthing. It's just I uh, just can't say no. <laughs> And you he's, know, just, he's uh, just helping boys uh, get a future, get get some a little extra money to you know some of these kids. Absolutely, I'm I'm tired I'm tired of you right wing boys <laughs> trying to shout down these good Democrats who are just trying to help young people find a career. You know, it's just um, <laughs> the, the mainstream media that you guys control. It's just this this narrative you're pushing of this anti work Democratic party. Just, and some just, long time affordable housing in in Gacy's crawl space. I mean, you know, Jesus. absolutely. I mean, talk I, about I cheap don't rent. endorse any of this. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, this is bad for I, my I, political career. Okay, well, <laughs> things, are get, things are getting bad if the jokes are going beyond even Toby's realm. So uh, I should probably, uh, I should probably end end that there. But um, yes, um, this guy is a fucking piece of shit, and I, I wish he could have burned uh, years ago, uh, long before he was caught. But um, it's been a fascinating podcast to talk about his his absolutely awful crime. So thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Oh okay. yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm gonna cut some of the comments you made just now and uh, send it out to the newspapers. So, no, thank thank you very much, Simon. Cheers. Okay, thanks, guys. Have a, have a good rest of the show. Yeah. So um, at this point, you have uh, Lieutenant Joseph Kozinsnak. Um He's on the case now with the investigating division of the Des Moines Police Department. I know if Yogi was on the podcast, he probably would. Uh, Admonish me for my pronunciation of that. The morning but, I might uh, be okay. I think that's actually not bad. Joseph took personal charge of the case. He was a no-nonsense investigator who understood and accepted the value of dogged attention to detail and police work. He immediately launched into an in-depth investigation in search for the missing boy. Detectives began questioning everyone at the pharmacy in, in um, planes who had known the missing youth clocks. Customers and owners, the clerk said that Robert had left to speak with the contractor who had parked outside in a lot in a pickup truck and was oh, described as. I'm sorry, just to, we're talking about Robert Peast, right? The final boy? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, um, I know we sort of spent a lot of time on this podcast. No, to be honest, I, I did skip over this, but which probably was an well, oversight. But go on, go on. All right. It, just to cover was between 1972 and 1978, Gacy. We've said he 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 will go on to be convicted for 32. He's probably it's probably more than that. He uh, but 
most of the most of the young men he who who he killed who were later excavated from uh, the crawl space and underneath his house or in his yard. Some of them he threw in the river, including Robert Peast. But uh, many of them, it is worth noting, were uh, were employed by Gacy, um, and uh, and and some of them, you know. Uh, they they were not in, consistently as as we mentioned. Were you know the parents re- reported them missing um, when they didn't come home after working for Gacy, and the and the cops had no interest in even uh, pursuing them pursuing it at all. And um and, and some of these some of these kids most of these kids were just were were uh, residents in Chicago, and uh, and most of them were working class kids. Uh, John Zick. Uh, Gregory Godsick, many a number of other kids, uh, you know, with names typical for the area, um, were kids who were just looking for extra money, and and uh, but they had no, they or their families uh, were not involved with anything. Uh, he he, one one boy, um, uh, uh, William George, um, uh, uh, I don't remember the name. Of it. But one boy was 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 uh, was taken off a bus on the way home from baseball practice. I mentioned, I, I'm forgetting the name, but. Um, uh, there, there's a there is a there are a whole bunch of them, but what they are is they're quite similar uh, in in terms of socioeconomic status, in terms of background, in terms of uh, you know not having any clout, not have you know not having any interest in the police in in, in 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 finding out what happened to them, and no connection made at any point in any of these murders uh, to to Gacy, um, and it is also it needs to be mentioned that Gacy did also pick up. Uh, Boys and young men that he 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 caught at um, the um, in, in the cruising gay districts that he would just invite to his car, and one of them was a a, a man by the name of um, uh, Jeff Rignall, who was uh, not a boy; he was twenty six. He was a young man, but he was a uh, gay, outwardly gay, and um, he uh, uh, Jeff Rignall was uh, invited in to smoke a joint to, into Gacy's car and then chloroformed. And he would survive because one thing is Gacy sometimes would abduct and uh, torture uh, and 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 rape people and then let them go. And um, he was um, Jeff Rigno would go on to testify in the in the court case. And it's it's worth mentioning this case because Jeff Rigno, uh, under the influence of chloroform, was in and out while being held in Gacy's uh, house. And he said that he was uh, raped and abused by Gacy and one other. Uh, 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 boy or young man with uh, uh, blonde hair parted down the middle, and that describes uh, Philip Paskey, uh, one of one of one of his employees, who we'll get to in the next episode too, because he connects to a lot of different things. But the thing about it is, is that Gacy during this time uh, is is connected to to one boy after another, or one young man after another who who goes missing, either working for him or at bus stops or um, in the gay neighborhoods. Um, or, or even not even just connected to him. Sometimes he just would 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 target them uh, driving around, and and in none of those situations is he connected, or or suspected by any of them. He is above suspicion. Um, but what's different is is that as time goes on, he becomes more and more, uh, less and less cautious and more and more impulsive. And as you said, uh, um, in in Des Plaines, which is a suburb of Chicago, he is. Uh, uh, seen in this pharmacy that is that the the boy is working there named Robert Peast and he is uh, will go on to be Gacy's final victim and the one that where Gacy's actually connected to it and Robert Peast was different than all the other previous boys 
um, in that uh, the cops didn't just assume that it wasn't worth investigating. He was uh, someone from a, a, a more upper-class family, I think, but he was also an all, Robert Peace was an all-American athlete. Um, he was a gymnast. Uh, he, he, he was a great student. He was kind of the, the ideal uh, he was kind of the ideal uh, uh, son and the ideal uh, you know future, uh, future son-in-law. He was that, he was that kind of kid. And what's funny is he was 15 years old, but like a lot of gifted athletes, he looked older. He looked about 18. Um, and uh, uh, he had th this kind of he, he, he was someone who was um, by all accounts, a really wonderful, excellent kid too, beyond just his, his family status. Um, but, uh, the other aspect is when Robert Peast was uh, uh, w went missing, uh, people had seen Gacy in the store, and they had seen uh, Robert Peast had said he was going to go out to talk to the contractor, and basically people knew that was Gacy, and and then he had disappeared, and uh, and at that time also Robert Peast's mother had been it was her birthday and they were going to go home and have a birthday celebration. And he, and she'd been waiting for him in the parking lot. And, uh, then he said, I had to have to talk to this contractor and then he disappears. And so Gacy has broken so many rules. He cannot, uh, just be, in, this is a situation where it's noticeable and it can be connected to him. All these other disappearances and murders, no one could connect them to Gacy because he wasn't seen doing it. He was in the shadows, but this was right in front of everyone. And he takes a chance that he that that costs eventually will will get him arrested, and uh, because it's people people know who who this uh, person uh, person is. Because uh, uh, took charge of the case, um, so by nine p.m., however, Kazunak was in Norwood Park Township, accompanied by three other investigators. I was knocking at the door of two hundred two uh, eight. 1,213 West Summerdale Ave, where Gacy answered the door. Kazunak asked him to come to the police station for questioning. Gacy replied that he had to wait at home for an important telephone call from his mother in Arkansas regarding an uncle who had just died. A boy was missing, Kazunak pointed out, and stressed that it was imperative that Gacy talk in detail to investigators as soon as possible. He asked Gacy either to telephone his mother immediately or to leave the telephone call until later and to go to the station to give a statement. Gacy didn't like being pressured, especially so soon after losing a beloved uncle. He accused Kazignac of having no respect for the dead. That also um, might yeah. just be bullshit. I don't even know if he did, but it, he has well, I guess the hefty contractor was obviously upset, but he finally agreed to take care of his business and report to the station in a couple hours. He stumbled into the police department sometime after three o'clock the next morning with his shoes and clothing caked with mud. The detectives who were to take his statement had left hours before and he was told that he would could return home, but to report back to the station later that morning by 9.15 a.m., Gacy was the investigating division officers being questioned extensively about possible connections to the missing boy. He emphatically denied that he knew anything about Robert's disappearance and was eventually permitted to leave. Soon after that, routine background checks, Kazinak had ordered on various people believed to have known or come into a recent contact with the boy paid off. Uh, he was notified that Gacy had a criminal record and served 18 months of a 10-year term in Iowa prison on a sol solemn conviction. The charge involved a teenage boy. Kazinak went to uh, Circuit Judge Marvin J. Peters for a search warrant citing Gacy's criminal background. 
the boy's exemplary reputation and other factors to show probation probable cause. People started uh, searching his home. Uh, Lily Gravax was coming home from a shopping trip, uh, and although it was only four o'clock in the afternoon, the heavy December sky was already grey and sodden, hinting of a new snow in the early winter that was about to settle over the Midwest. But she was used to grey skies and cold winters. Uh, she was more interested in the assemblage of cars in the neighborhoods, Crescent Drive, so was her husband. What's up next door, he asked as his wife walked inside and began unloading packages. Oh, maybe John's having an early Christmas party. If that's what it is, it's a funny way to have a party, Gravax uh, replied. His own car isn't there. Um, they found out. Um, um, they, they were used to their neighbor knocking on their door and asked, asking them to keep an eye on his house and a few days later while he was away on one of his frequent trips he returned the favor when he could by watching their house Scrivax however said that she didn't think he should get involved in whatever was going on his wife repeated her urging to check things out next door he shook his head no but a few minutes later when a couple of men walked outside the house next to the door and began taking photographs he changed his mind and told his wife that he was going to John's to talk to them uh, Lily telephoned John to uh, Gacy's bookkeeper and said there was trouble next door. She asked how she could locate her neighbor. The bookkeeper said that Gacy was planning to attend a wake that night and promised to try to get in touch with them shortly. Um, bottle When they searched the house, bottles of pills, including capsules of what thought to be Valium and other containing a nitrate, a scale of switchblade knife, a pistol, a bag containing possible guns, caps or uh, rivets, a pair of handcuffs and keys, a length of nylon rope, a 39-inch long 2 by 4 board with holes in each end, a temporary driver's license issued to Michael B. Barker, a main high school class ring with the initials J-A-S, a driver's license issued to James J. O'Toole, a receipt from Ninson's Pharmacy for a film being... Uh, for a role of film being developed. Uh, they suspected that it didn't... Um, uh, they, they also... Bits of hair was found in the truck of the car, which was taken to the police garage. The door of the car and those of the other vehicle in the garage were open, and a tra trained dog had been given articles of Robert's clothes to smell. Um, it was released inside the building. He scampered past the other vehicles and jumped to the great Gacy's old mobile. The hair was, which was the same color as the missing boys, was sent to the police crime laboratory for further uh, investigations. By 9 p.m., the priest's family had confirmed that the receipt was for the film and belonged to Kim Bayers. The 16-year-old girl subsequently explained that she was with Robert a few days before his disappearance and he had given her his jacket to wear because she was cold. Um... Yeah, she left the she left that in his jacket just on apparently Zara on whim. Was, Zara was the first of Gacy's associates to become aware that his friend was in trouble when Gacy drove to his house in a rented car to complain that police were persecuting him and trying to tie him to a drug offense. Police even parked a few yards away and watched as Gacy sold Christmas trees near an uh, an area shopping center. Uh, when Gacy returned home, Gacy continued to fuss and were worry his friend finally agreed to drive to the house and check inside just to put his friend's mind at ease. Gacy handed him keys to, to the rental car and prepared to wait for his, his friend's return. A police car slid from his parking place and followed the cement contractor as he drove 
the half dozen blocks to Summerdale, pulled the vehicle into the rear driver and parked. Um, Ed Grivak's boss, um, Lily answered the door. Her neighbor was hollowed eyed and, and drooping. I should have been here earlier with these, but I've been kind of busy. He apologized. He handed the plans to her. Yeah, what's going on? The woman agreed, nodding her head in knowledge of assent. Well, I got company wherever I go. I, I even have to hire bodyguards, he joked. When Lily asked him why he was being followed, he replied that the police were trying to tie him to a murder. It took a moment for the remark to sink in. Then she remembered hearing that one of the boys who worked on her neighbor's contracted jobs for a while had disappeared. The JS thing also that, that, that was found in his, that belonged to John Zick. He was, that, that was, that was uh, his ring. Uh, that was, uh, who was one of the boys uh, that worked for Gacy, who, he w who was found in the crawl space. Uh, Gacy's attitude to all the police who were trailing him blew hot and cold. He had alternatively shot photographs of them, led them on long rambling car chases and apparent efforts to lose them and invited them into his house. In the early evening of the day, the suit was filed. Gacy approached two officers parked in a police car. His driveway invited them to his home. Officer Robert Schultz, an eight-year veteran of the department, recognized the heavy clawing odor pervading the house the moment he stepped into the kitchen temperature outside was near zero and the furnace was on emphasizing the stench of the putrefied human flesh it settled over the room like an odiferous uh, blanket it was an odor that Schultz had smelled dozens of times before at the Cook County Mall and other occasions where he was near the cadavers of the people who had been dead for some time the odor of the human tissue that, that has putrefied clings to a room or enclosed space like a gangrene. Gacy nodded his uh, nodded his, his head and drove away again, slower and more carefully, heading southeast to a park ridge service station near the Niles town line. As the police watched from about six feet away, he stepped out of his car and took a plastic bag of what appeared to be marijuana for his pocket and stuffed it in, into one of the pocket of one of the station attendants. Uh, Gacy now would somehow lead to piss. Gacy walked inside the station to talk to the owner, but left a few moments later and drove a few blocks to his house. Uh, Whisker, he looked worse than, uh, um, than people had ever seen him. Um, uh, that was surprising because lately he had turned down drinks, explaining that he was trying to lose weight. Um, so, yeah, Gacy is really, he's really, he's looking really bad and the police are, uh, really closing in on him at, at, at this moment in time. Yeah, I mean, uh, in many ways, you, you could say that that all this needed to happen was for, you know, for him to target uh, the wrong boy in the wrong context, and all, and all this stuff comes crashing down. But the thing was, is that was only because he buried uh, bodies in, the, in his crawl space. And and even then, only happened because the investigators went to the bathroom and and uh, the heat went on when he was in the bathroom and he could smell it through the door. I mean, through the floor. So, um, actually, it's it's it is just you know, it it, it is something that pro that could have gone on a lot longer if those things don't happen because there was no attention or care paid to any of these other boys until they were excavated from the crawl space. In February of 1979, the police were still digging up the Gacy's property. Uh, they needed more time than originally anticipated to finish the search on the house due to the winter cold, um, which had deeply frozen the ground. They also thought they would find other bodies outside of the core space. Uh, no, let, let me 
I think I've skipped ahead. I'm going to cut this bit out. Um, so, gaseous spread, lime or chlorodic acid on the body several times trying to eliminate the stench of the putrefaction and accelerate decomposition. On the first day of the search, the police found two bodies. The first was John Botkovic, who had been buried under the garage. The second body was John Prestige, who was buried under the house wrapped in plastic. The next day, three more bodies were found. Day after day, investigators uncovered new cadavers. Some of the victims were discovered with their underwear shoved down their throats. Others were buried so close together and were in such similar states of decomposition that the police concluded that they must have been killed and buried the same day. National media camped out in the front of Gacy's house following the macabre evacuations hour by hour. Gacy's house was permanently encircled by media cameras. The house, which in the eyes of the spectators had become as well known as the White House, was taken down piece by piece as the police continued to find new bodies. Gacy's neighbors were harassed not only by the media, but by the residents of the population who could not understand why they had not suspected anything. Many of Gacy's acquaintances were horrified to learn that the kind of entrepreneur that they had knew, who had dressed up as a clown for children, had been an abominable killer the whole time. On the December the 28th, 1978, the police announced that they had found 26 bodies on the Gacy's palace and garage. In November, the body of Frank Dale Landingen was pulled out of the Dyes Plains River. Investigators had found his, his driver's license in Gacy's house and understood that Gacy was responsible for his murder. Gacy had dumped other victims in the river. On the 28th, the body of James Maz was pulled from Des Moines Plains. Uh, these, his underwear shoved down his throat. In February of 1971, in February of 1979, the police were still digging up the Gacy property. They needed more time than originally anticipated to finish the search under the house due to the winter cold, which had deeply frozen the ground. They also thought that they would find other bodies outside the core space. When a building construction team was brought in to demolish the cement of Gacy's patio, they found the well-preserved body of a young man. He was wearing shorts and a wedding band. The next week, the 31st body was discovered in the Illinois River. The investigators were able to identify the body by a, a tattoo on his arm, which matched a photo that had been printed in, in, in the press. A friend of the victim's father recognized the tattoo of Tim Lee, alias Timothy O-R-O-U-R-T-Y. Uh, What's that, Timmy? I don't know. I, 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 didn't, I didn't tell. Just, you know... Uh, so the body of uh, Timothy O'Rourke had been a avid Bruce Lee fan who admired the martial artist so much that he took the Lee family name and had it tattooed <laughs> on his arm. Soon after, the last body was found at, at the Gacy home beneath the game room. The house was reduced to dust. Robert Peast, however, was not found among the bodies in Gacy's home. No one knew what had happened to him. His body was finally discovered from the Illinois River in April 1979. He had been struck, stuck on the riverside in a place where he, which was hard to see and to access. Strong winds had finally dislodged him and pushed him towards the Dresden Dam where he was found. The autopsy determined that he, was, he died of suffocation. Peast had choked on the paper napkins Gacy had shoved down his throat. Yeah, um, and we we know that 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 Robert Peast was uh, 
you know, when they when they first showed up to his house uh, to inquire about whether he'd seen him, you know, when Peace went missing, um, that we know that, that Gacy, that he was still, uh, the body of Robert Peace was still in, in Gacy's uh, attic or in his, um, his room, I think in his attic, uh, because he liked to keep the body around for a long time. I don't know if he had sex with the corpse, but I think he just liked to keep it around for, 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 for about a day. And... When uh, he failed to show up at the at the police station, uh, you know when they want because you know when they wanted him to because of the the whole you know the family emergency thing, um, that he uh, he we know that he he came at like three o'clock in the morning and covered in mud because he had he had driven out to the uh, bridge to dispose of Robert Peace's body. And um, and that's what he was that, that that's when it was uh, when that when that was done. Uh, but that was when he was uh, still, you know, uh, buying time by uh, not meeting with them uh, uh, before, uh, you know. And, and, and the thing was, is that um, even though you, you'd have to say, considering they didn't have any information before the, the Robert Peace thing happened, they had not bothered to look before that that still they you know giving him the, the in those those 10 days worth of time uh it gave him uh you know when he they were they were investigating him you know in that day where he had he had an opportunity to dispose of the body beforehand it, it you know it, it could have given him an opportunity either to get away or to uh get, get rid of evidence but, it, but of course eventually uh because they were able to smell the the uh the, the smell like the, the county morgue from his uh from underneath his house that um, eventually they were able to get him, but um, he, uh, uh, he 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 likely um, buried bodies also um, where his mother was living at that time too, because he was seen digging in, in, at three o'clock in the morning then. But he passed it off as part of a job, so it is li very likely that there you know that the that the additional victims are there or or in the river or maybe even in the woods, but. Um, but but the ones most of the ones who were reported missing were in the were on his property and in the the crawl space. Uh, Peace family immediately brought charges against Gacy for murder, which this is the least uh, you would think they would do. But also charged the Iowa parole board and the prison department for having paroled Gacy too mm -hmm. early in 1970, and the Chicago for police for negligence. Uh, the Plains police were lauded for their swift action. The police compared dental records and other clues to identify the victims. Unfortunately, nine were never identified. Yeah, they're still trying to to figure out exactly who they were still to this day, because I think that the, 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 the members of the Chicago Police Department have a great deal of uh, anger and a great deal of uh, guilt about what about how poorly, the, you know, uh, the, 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 you know, the civic infrastructure performed during that time, uh, during the the sixties and seventies, and uh, and one of the things is is that I, I think I mentioned this earlier, but regarding the Amber Alert system, Robert Peace's family, who had invested so much in him beyond even just because he was a, he's a wonderful kid, a wonderful brother, wonderful son, but um, they had some level of of uh, ability uh, to have some level of influence, and um, his brother. I know said that that Robert um, that Robert had had planned to do great things and that he wasn't able to, so they had to do it for him. They had to make a, a mark for him, and to, and 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 so what they did is I think they they in large part uh, they're responsible for causing a major cleanup in 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 the way this was done, 
for getting the Amber Alert system in because they had this rules, you know, that they had to wait 72 hours. And they were, from the moment he was missing, they were just saying, you know, when wasn't there to be taken home by his mother when she picked him up from the uh, pharmacy, uh, they were they they, they spent they were uh, traveling all around Chicago all night and all day, and the, and the next several days trying to find him, talk to anyone they could, and I think that they uh, that the one thing you can say that that happened as a result of the murder of Robert Peast is that his family changed America, changed the way. Um, you know, missing kids are approached bo both in terms of the time scale and also just the general attitude. And to some degree, they held uh, to account the just appalling failure of uh, the the police in in in, in Illinois and I and, and Iowa, the police and, and public officials during this period. Um, and sometimes it has to happen that someone from a little bit more of a prominent background, uh, someone who is a really extraordinary uh, kid. You know, not saying the others weren't in their character, but in terms of uh, he was, as I said, an All-American athlete and, you know, uh, and all these different things. So um, so they they changed. They 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 uh, they uh, had a big effect on on how this was handled and how also, frankly, boys and girls missing in the future was handled in the time frame. Now, it there are probably thousands and thousands of lives that have been saved because. They 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 change the window of time before they can they can uh, pursue it because according to criminology it takes you know it's within a pretty small window of time that most uh, people who are who are kidnapped or in this case lured uh, you know have before they're killed and by the time they even bothered to talk to Gacy about this Robert Peace was dead. Uh, so Gacy was trapped for the Cook County Prison to determine whether he was sane. He was examined by psychiatrists that the. Sir Mac Psychiatric Hospital in Chicago. From the beginning, Gacy's excuse was that he was a victim of his evil alter ego, Jack. It was Jack yeah. who had committed the murders, although Gacy later conceded that he, John Gacy, committed some of them as well. Jack would take Gacy's mind late at night when he was drunk and force him to search for victims. Yeah, this is this is like the entity uh, with, with, with Ted Bundy or Factor X, with uh, with BTK, Jack was allegedly one of Gacy's four personalities, which Gacy insisted controlled him each in turn. However, Gacy's tales varied to such an extent that he became difficult to believe. His dishonesty was so commonplace that one of his psychiatrists even threatened to stop treating him if he didn't stop lying. Well, the thing about pathological liars is they they are they they're not calculated liars. You know, they 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 can't tell when they're. The thing about pathological liars, they can't tell when they're lying or when they're telling the truth anymore because they lose track of what's true or not. And Gacy is such an extreme example of that because by the end he was completely functionally delusional uh, or he had made himself that way. And the thing was is he, he can't not lie. That's, that's how he operates. That's how he's operated since he was a kid. And the thing about it is is that it's again understandable and sympathetic when uh, you know when he was when he was the uh, the boy and with the horrible father. But when he becomes the facsimile of that and even worse version so the thing is is that uh is that that he tried to use all these and also his four personas they were all you know ver versions that glorified himself you know the politician the businessman the clown all these different you know jack hanley was a you know a macho cop you know and the thing was is also the invocation of jack hanley as i mentioned earlier he was a guy who went around beating up the long hairs and the queers and gacy saw himself doing that 
in his sexual conquest that he was visiting justice on them when he when some when he would torture and, and murder a kid he would be the as he described it the judge jury and executioner of them and and also read them last rites because he would read to the bible to them as he was strangling them he he appointed himself as the priest i mean that that's what he was doing and 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 so he took and he took uh he he, he was uh you know judging them unworthy and um of life and killing them and then reading them last rites and um so that 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 that's 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 what he did. I guess she. Give me a second here. I guess he gave other explanations for certain deaths. Some of the teens he claimed had consensually agreed to sexual relations and asked to be strangled by rope to cause erections and orgasms. His lawyer, who assumed the most of the explanations, aimed to draw animosity from the jury, suggested that he plead insanity. <laughs> uh, John Gacy's trial began on February the 6th, 1980, in front of the Cook County Court in Chicago. In his opening statements, prosecutor Robert Egan told the jury that Gacy had killed 32 three young men over a period of several years. The investigation had allowed them to determine that the actions of Gacy were premeditated and rational. One of Gacy's lawyers, Robert Motta, attested that Gacy's actions were irrational and impulsive. Gacy was mentally unstable and couldn't control himself. If declared sane, Gacy would be able to escape the death penalty and potentially be set free a few years later in Illinois. There was no ex existing limits on the prison term for someone declared to be insane. In many cases, insane convicts were freed after being deemed mentally stable enough to return to society. Insanity, however, is difficult to prove in a court. Gacy was indignant to see that his own lawyers were unable to invent a story that could get him off. <laughs> As the psychiatrist examines, uh, exams had shown, Gacy felt no remorse for his crimes and, and for each murder, Gacy presented justification. Each, each example, Gacy told one of the police officers who had interrogated him that was one of the victims had been a masochist by strangling. Gacy insisted that he had done the boy a favor. Gacy always determined how he had killed most of his teenagers with the garrots. Gacy provided many details which conflicted with the story that he was Jack who killed and tortured the boys. Um, during the following weeks, Gacy's Friends and neighbors were called to testify, as were the police involved with the investigation. Psychiatrists were also called upon to confirm and deny that Gacy was of sound mind. The two teenagers who had lived in Gacy's house, David Cram and Michael Rosie, were called to the stand. The boy explained that under Gacy's meticulous instruction, they had dug holes in the crawl space with the deceased Gregory Godzik. The trenches Gacy had said would be used to install pipes. On February the 24th, to everyone's surprise, the defense called Jeffrey Ringel to the stand. It was widely presu uh, pr presumed that Ringel would be called by the prosecution, but the defense thought that his, his testimony would be more useful under cross-examination. Gacy's other lawyer, M. Amarant, asked Ringel if he thought Gacy could control himself. Ringel replied that he thought Gacy was a wild animal who had no control of his impulses. His testimony was brief, being in the presence of the rapist caused Ringel to vomit before collapsing in tears. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Ringel, as I mentioned earlier, was um, chloroformed and then held at Gacy's house uh, in and out of consciousness for several days while, while Gacy and one other man uh, assaulted him. But when he he actually reported that he survived it, and you know, because he was he was uh, he was dumped somewhere in a park, I think, by Gacy, and uh, he didn't kill everybody. He he abducted or and, and assaulted, 
And one of the things is when he is he reported, he went to the police and 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 gave them a description of Gacy. He gave them his because he he had gone around and tried to you know got his license plate number. And the police said, well, we can't we can't uh, deal with that. We can't. Th that's nothing to you know. Just another butt fuck was what they said. So, and, and <laughs> that was what was described by the police. So, so Jeff Rignall had tried to report Gacy. He had given him a description of Gacy, given him the, the the license plate number, and and they didn't even bother to do it. But he was brought in to uh, he he was refused as a, to, as a as a as a uh, witness by the prosecution because I think he had published a book. I think he had a book describing his experiences, and I think I, I don't know. I know and uh, I think he just wanted someone to listen to him, and um, and and Jeff Rigdon would, would would survive initially, but he would go on to die from complications from the chloroform overdose, I think, or he had just poor health. Um, but the thing was is that uh, he uh, he is one of many uh, people who who actually did survive Gacy, who were just ignored by the by the police, and um, he at least he at least he got some opportunity in court. Um, what's his name? Uh, Donald Voorhees Jr. Uh, was brought in as a witness, and he, you know, he was compelled to test testify, and he he was excused by the judge because he was so in such hysterics he couldn't, you know, he couldn't handle it. Um, and uh, Donald Voorhees never recovered from his abuse. He he uh, killed himself uh, because he was unable to sleep, and he was a traumatic wreck. Um, so he was in many ways another a victim of of, of Gacy, and. Um, but the thing was with 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 the whole insanity thing that was the only there was no doubt of Gacy being guilty even though the number of you know uh, he he contested the number of, of of victims who were who were who were uh, he actually did but you know the only question was was he insane and a lot of people thought that he has to be insane because you have to be crazy to kill all these boys but that's that's not an, you know that's a you have, and in a sense, I guess moral insanity, maybe, but not not well, not legal insanity. Prosecution uh, called on Arthur Hatman, another psychiatrist, to the stand. Hatman theorized that although Gacy was affected by a personality disorder, he was absolutely not insane. He he described that he is a very egocentric and narcissistic. And he has a typical antisocial orientation. He has a psychopathic personality with sexual deviance and hysterical personality, as well as the minor aspects of a compulsive and paranoid personality. Dr. Robert Reifman agreed that Gacy had a personality type that was particularly narcissistic. He was so in love with his own image that, in his eyes, others barely existed. I don't think we can have access to 33 temporary periods of craziness, Reifman continued. The mere idea that he was uh, he was he asked David Kraman, Gregory Zozik, and Mike Rosen to dig tombs in the crawl space, indicated the Gacy Gacy premeditated his murders. Gacy, Richman argued, was simulating insanity to escape a lighter with a lighter punishment. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty clear that that's exactly what it was. That 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 insanity was the only defense, and I, and in general, it doesn't work. You have to you have to be like, I think it worked for the for the guy who shot. Uh, you know who shot uh, Reagan to impress Jodie Foster, but uh, in general, <laughs> in, in general, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, uh, but in, in general, it, it it it's it's not something that you ha you have to be psychotic. Gacy was a psychopath. He was, you know, but he he was bad, not mad, by any legal definition, and frankly, by any psychiatric definition that would be applicable 
to a legal or evaluative context. He just that that he um, and and he did he did um, Rossi and Cram were not like Elmer Wayne Henley and and David Brooks in that they were not involved in the murders. They were they what they were is they were involved in the in the cover up, but I don't even think they knew what they were doing. I don't think most people who worked for Gacy were particularly curious about why they were being asked to be do stuff because because he was either someone who who made who smoothed things over and made things seem like ah it's no big deal or they were scared of him or he threatened them he did have connections uh, several of the of the boys he assaulted he said you know if you talk to anyone about this I have someone I can go and and, and he'll kill you and and that wasn't necessarily wrong. So the thing was, they were terrified of him when they when they testified. I think it was basically they're putting witness protection or something like that. Um, and so, you know, because they, they were they were. Uh, but they were not seen as being accessories. Um, only Philip Paskey out of any of the employees might have been. But the thing is, is that um, uh, Cram uh, was also assaulted by Gacy uh, sexually and uh, he would go on to kill himself as well. Uh, and, you know. There are more victims, no matter what. There are more victims than than you can than you can ascribe uh, to Gacy. And the closing statements, the prosecution and defense reiterated their claims. Gacy was either an irresponsible, um, schizophrenic, or a manipulator who had premeditated the rape and torture his uh, easily coerced young victims. The opinions of the psychiatrists were diverse, but more of them agreed that Gacy was sane. If Gacy had 33 uncontrolled impulses that pushed him to kill. Why did he dig a large number of graves ahead of time? If he couldn't remember the crimes he had committed, how could Gacy demonstrate how he had strangled his victims or draw a detailed map of his basement with accurate description of where he had buried each victim? How could he have res been, how could he have responded calmly to a colleague when admitting that he had killed Robert Peace? Why didn't he try to get help? After five weeks of court pro proceeding, the jury went into debate. Uh, Liberation. It didn't take them more than two hours to come up with a verdict. John Wayne Gacy was not mentally insane. He was guilty of all counts. On March nine, on March thirteenth, nineteen eighty, the clown killer was condemned to death. You'd have to say it was exactly what. By that point, he was already basically the most hated man in the world, and you'd have to say that 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 was what the public demanded. But it was also what the evidence suggested, and in terms of the death sentence. There are uh, there are ethical objections to the death sentence uh, on an absolute level and to the, and on a provisional level, but it, but at least on a provisional level, Gacy is as uh, it warranted on the basis of the crime and on the basis of his personality as any, and uh, and and um, I know that the families of the victims, to the degree they got anything, uh, um, any any uh, sucker from the legal system or the public, uh, you know. Be, you know that can at all comp can't compensate at all but you know this was at least something uh some some element to which at least of retributive justice that you know uh that at least their uh the death of their sons mattered enough to uh for this guy to 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 to, to be gotten rid of uh, he loved the attention that he received and particularly liked to correspond with FBI agents and criminology students during a phone interview completed a few hours before his execution. Gacy vaunted to a journalist that more than 30 books had been written about him, two television series had been aired, a film produced, a play published, five songs produced, and more than 5,000 articles written. Gacy was evidently very proud. <laughs> My favorite is that he compared himself to Michelangelo. 
Yeah, did he come uh, You know what? I kind of fuck with this element of this guy a little bit. You know? <laughs> it's kind of funny. Well, the, and the thing was is that my favorite thing, I think this is the funniest thing in his case, is, is that in one of his interviews, he was talking about the different people he relates to. And he, and he was talking about how he relates to Michelangelo. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, cause, and Michelangelo is a great painter. And he says, I haven't just done painting. I've done decoration and maintenance and upholster, all these different things. Well, you know, uh, Michelangelo, he made the David, Buster David. He was a sculptor, you know, I mean, I can, I can see that because he was always trying to uh, change up the decor of his house and his pot and plants and all this stuff, you know. And the thing, I, the, I, mo- the important thing about Michelangelo the Gacy, the most important thing was that he was a workaholic. That was what Gacy said. Oh, you know, that clearly the reason he's such a great artist is that he's a workaholic. He works almost as hard as he, as Gacy did at, 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 at paying decoration and maintenance. It's kind of hilarious. There's a level to which, you know, sort of like you can talk about someone like Trump being kind of funny uh, because of his narcissism. Even with someone as absolutely revolting and repulsive as Gacy, um, he is... It is funny. It's like when Rodney Alcala plays Alice's Restaurant as a closing argument. It's, It's just... It has to be seen to be believed. There's something very comical about that because it's so stupid and ridiculous. And he pu- and he just pulls it off com- with complete, like, 100% uh, conviction because in a sense he's being honest about how he sees himself. He has an utterly, utterly ridiculous ego. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think there was a book written about Michelangelo called uh, something like the, the Odyssey of, of he- Heaven or something like that. You know, like this kind of, like... <laughs> like ridiculous level of like fanfare and i i just imagine gacy like thinking about you know the the press and the books and 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 the bodies and thinking oh yes this is this is the honesty of, of heaven this is this great american tale. and then like the podcast even this podcast would be, he would appreciate it i think he would enjoy it well, he he'd, he'd want he 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 complained that maybe our production values haven't been quite what we'd want, or, or that we, <laughs> we, we don't quite have the we don't quite have the 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 the, the finance like he he'd casting it as yeah, yeah, money yeah, off of say it. the production wasn't, but he would enjoy your perorations. I think you know your um, fights of fancy into the, the the psychology and the you know this 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 staccato of it all. I think he would enjoy that. Well, one thing is, is Gacy also wrote a book. It's very hard to get a call a question of doubt. The entire thing is, it's, it's very much like if I did it or lots of these guys have done this. Rodney Alcala's We the Jury or You the Jury. <laughs> it's just like that. I mean, the, the book, whole book is just to, 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 uh, to raise uh, stupid questions about the result. And um, that's that's I, 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 and Gacy spent pretty much his entire time in, 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 in uh, on death row, either painting or doing the legal stuff. And I don't even think so much it was like he was trying to save his life. It was just he just had to win. He had to be the victimizer, not the victim. He had to be the powerful guy because by the end of his life, he, you know, if he was really invested in saving his life, he would have been, uh, you know, he might not have done it, but he would have been uh, constantly focused on that. But he was mainly concerned with resolving legal suits, making sure that some people didn't take money he made off his paintings, you know, um, you know, he he hired these these two lawyers to represent him in a civil suit who ended up representing him only doing that if they could also 
get him off death row because they were against the death penalty. He didn't care as much about that. He was more interested in the civil suit because he has to win. And at one point he said, you know, they can only kill me once. I've, I, I've taken 30 from them, you know. So he had he had that kind of just he has to be. Ah, that's, that's he, ha, he, ha, that's he has to be the. He has to be the winner, he you know because that's what a real man is, that's what is that's what you know a real man is you know is is the victimizer not the victim, and you know he, you know a real man is John Gacy Senior and he has proved himself to be a real man because he's taken out a lot of uh, fruit pickers and punks and queers, he's put them in their place, he 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 proved that he was the man. And, and 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 they were the the uh, the punks and queers and the and and they were and and the little sissies. He he actually, in his mind at least, he became the man that he wanted to be and that his father would have wanted him to be, when he was strangling, uh, these and and sodomizing, and torturing these boys and men. Not even, uh, at any other point. So Gacy was actually executed by lethal injection. On the 10th of May, 1994, after years of appeals, uh, repugnant and crass until the bitter end, the clown killer's last words were, kiss my ass. There's some question as to when that was. Like some people who saw, said that he didn't say anything when he was in the, the, the execution chamber. That might have yeah, been beforehand. Yeah, a little too perfect. Yeah, I think that that might have just been something he might have said like the day before to somebody. Yeah. Apparently, apparently, what I've heard is that he didn't. Act, people who saw the execution said he didn't say anything, and that mm-hmm. and and that there was a, a problem with the execution. Like some of the the chemicals got stuck in the way of his mm-hmm. arm. He didn't die for eighteen minutes. But as far as the parents of the kids, the family of the people were concerned, that was that was nothing. You know, nothing compared to what their sons had endured. Nothing compared to what they continued to endure day after day after day. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, I think I think when it came down to it, it was just a, you know, if he would have said anything, it 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 would have been uh, pointless because you know you, that's the the you you can't uh, make anyone a victim by doing that. Um. So, okay, can we finish now, Simeon, or do you got something to say? Or? No, I think we can finish. I think this has uh, gone on a bit. Um. I um I had a hard time uh no quite knowing what to say. I think I I mean Gacy is someone who uh continues to live on the public imagination. Um we don't really know how many boys he killed for sure, but we know that at the time he was uh you know convicted and then executed uh he was it was the most of any anyone had been he he kind of redefined what it meant what it, you know who you're who who you should be afraid of who you should be afraid for it kind of brought to, brought to the the end um of of the the kind of story that had been started by Dean Coral early on and i think it's a kind of an kind of an end of the of of the of the innocence and trusting spirit of the 70s but um one other thing to mention is is that it isn't entirely the end of our coverage of John Gacy because there is a lot of question as to, uh, you know, some uh, boys like Michael Marino, for instance, went missing and, uh, and, 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 and it's not clear that he killed them. There were lots of boys that went missing in Chicago and elsewhere during that time, uh, tens of thousands in the, in the seventies. And, um, and there was a thriving, uh, uh, targeting of kids through the adult, through the sort of the foster system and and in child pornography and often located in in Chicago. So we knew Gacy had something to do with it, but not necessarily entirely. 
And one of Gacy's employees, as I mentioned, was a guy named Philip Paschke, and he was the second in, 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 second in, in organization referred to sometimes as the Delta Project or the Odyssey Foundation, which was a trafficking network. And he and he was introduced to Gacy by David Cram, who, you know, to wonder if he had been victimized too. But there's there's a, um, in the next episode, we're going to uh, draw some connections between these various uh, um, outfits. And I think Gacy was probably involved in, in child pornography and involved in, 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 in other things and probably killed other people. But uh, one thing he certainly did do was he, he changed... Uh, he brought an end to this to a period where the people who who are who uh, you should be afraid of are only people on the outside. It's you know he brought it home next door and uh, and um, we we you know there were there were other uh, of his victims that we could have focused on a little bit more, but we were trying to give you just a full picture of of this of this case. And uh, and every one of them is is is, is worthy of being focused on. So, uh, most definitely. Um, so, more on the next uh, episode with Gacy and and others. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as uh, we have uh, from myself, from Simeon, and from Simon. Thank you for listening, and uh, see you in the next one. Goodbye. Bye.